Bonzilla presents Star Trek. Each week we warp speed into the world of Star Trek. This week, the Kelvin timeline continues as the Enterprise crew faces off with Benedict Cumberbatch. It's 2013 Star Trek Into Darkness. Hello again, everybody. It's Bonzilla Presents time. I am Nick. I'm Will. And uh, we are we are back uh, to uh, get back into the Star Trek thing. We're, we're almost to the end. Uh, it's been a, a quite a, a journey with Trek. Um, you know, it, it's it's I'm really glad we chose these films um, just because I think it's just this whole series of original series and next generation and now the 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 Kelvin verse as it were uh it's just been really interesting to visit revisit and sort of really really dig into yeah definitely and I think what's going to be fun in this one is that this is like the first movie where I realized like I'm gaining a little bit more because we have watched all the other ones Mm mm-hmm for better or for worse in this movie, there were actually quite a few things that made the past um, trek and all the in, <laughs> of this journey of, of reviewing and revisiting a lot of these movies that I was like, oh, OK. Like, so it definitely uh, put a new spotlight on, on this film. So, uh, yeah, that's can't wait to talk about and it. And it's interesting. We're, of course, we're talking about the uh, 2013 classic Star Trek Into Darkness, and we'll definitely deep get deeper into you know all the machinations as we usually do as is as is requisite for for podcasting but it it is interesting to reflect on sort of again the timing of this film in in my life because you know this was all the whole again middle of uh film school and like i was still very early on in my interest in trek i had still not you know delved into the films other than 2009 and, and Wrath of Khan at this point, those were the only two I had seen when I saw this film in theaters. And, you know, it was the whole deal of like, it's, you know, it's Abrams and it's a sequel to this movie. And, you know, we're going to be getting like, you know, we had already known that the, 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 the Abrams star Wars was coming at some point, you know, in, in the, in the near future with this. Did, film. We, did we know that at that point? Yes, because I still distinctly remember my letterbox review of this movie referencing that I'm so ready for an Abrams Star Wars movie. I, right, re- I remember right, yeah. that very distinctly because mm-hmm. that purchase was like in like, wasn't it like 2012, 20, early 2013, I think. Right. Like because this movie comes out 2015. So, yeah, I, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Well, I can look that up right now. Wait, which movie? Force Awakens, right? Force Awakens was 2015. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, I distinctly remember we knew that Abrams was getting his his uh, uh, Star Wars film uh, at this point. Yeah, Nick's doing research. I am in the middle of the doing show. the research. 
to look at um, what when Force Awakens came out? No, 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 no. When the purchase was made. Oh, 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 the Disney per. I was like, you kept on saying purchase. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, I remember when I purchased tickets to the Force yeah. Awakens. Yeah, I was like going to say, like, are you talking about when you purchased like a like a copy of the movie when like yes, when yeah, JJ so purchased his way into the into the star war I, yeah I, like i don't know what so you're I saying can, yeah so i confirm start the star wars purchased by disney was october 2012 and it wasn't that long after that that we knew that abrams was directing the the next star wars film that was going to come out in 2015 which we didn't know was the force awakens at that time so mm-hmm. uh but yeah i re- distinctly remember like going into this it was like that was kind of the, the buzz um i do it is funny I, I, this is an off-topic thing before we get deeper into the film I do have one very distinct memory of seeing a movie this movie in theaters because this was this was a point where I wasn't really necessarily buying my tickets online. I went to the theater, you know, and I went to the box office and I went to buy my ticket. And I really distinctly remember the person in front of me, this woman was just like, I want to see this movie, but I can't remember what it is. It's got that hot guy from Titanic in it. And then the teller's like, you mean the great Gatsby? And she's like, yeah, and in 3D. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I hope you have a good time at hey. the 3D Baz Luhrmann Great Gatsby. I remember that very distinctly, so vividly to this oh day. My God. I mean, Baz got his target audience, uh, like, or a very niche audience at the very least. I just like that like, you refer to Leo as the hot guy from Titanic when he's had like lots of other things like that were much closer to 2013. That you're going all the way back to 1997, but it, I guess it is still one of his most iconic roles, uh, as it were. Because mm-hmm. that's post Inception, Leo, too. You know, that's like big star hasn't gotten his Oscar yet, Leo. Oh, yeah. But I, I distinctly remember being, you know, excited and, you know, the whole, which we'll talk about the, the mystery box stuff and, and the, all the denials that happened of what was actually going to happen in the movie. And then lo and behold, we watch the movie and see all the things that actually do happen in the movie. Um, but yeah, I, I, rem- I, mean, I, rem- I remember being like very excited uh, to, 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 in my very early interest in Trek to, to still dig into this film back when I was much more of a casual Trek fan. Yeah. I mean, I, I went into it like first one was good. Mm-hmm. Like the first one. Um, terrible title. Yeah, we'll talk about like, that. We'll that, talk that, about that. that. It, it's a it's an awful title, um, and this would ultimately be my first introduction to Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, this would have been like right at the beginning of like his like rise as kind of a, a noted actor because this right. was right he was in the same doing... realm as Sherlock, right? Like yeah, he was yeah, in yeah. that same realm as Sherlock. That that's what everybody had kind of like. That was you know his claim to fame at the time, and then like this was like the big and and, you know it's funny because you go back and he is one of those actors where you're like oh like you know i mean you know he was a working actor Mm -hmm. but then you go back and you're like oh you're looking at all the these other things that he was in and it's like fun to just it's always fun to go back and like see actors especially that thing like once you see and familiarize yourself it's like when i saw um what's it called when i saw batman begins for the first time and then you go back and then like then you realize you just start seeing Christian Bale in everything and mm-hmm. all of his, you just start seeing movies with younger Christian Bale. Yes. So like, you know, that, that kind of happened with Benedict Cumberbatch, but going into this, like, yeah, I knew Sherlock. I never, I didn't watch it, but I knew like, that was like, 
you know, his, you know, his claim to fame at the time. Right. And, and he would have so, been, he would have been that first, he would have been like that brief appearance of Spock in that first Hobbit film at this point. Right. Too. Around the same time. Right. Cause that was, tw- I was like just the previous December yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I believe this would have been the first like big, like blockbuster debut yeah. of him. Right. Yeah. Mm. As not, as not a dragon. Right. Yeah. Uh, and look how far we've come. So, I mean, so yeah, just kind of going into it, that was kind of my reference point for all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I, and I think it's, it's so when we're talking about the production of this movie, like the main thing is just like, this was one of those films where it's like, even before the first 09 Star Trek came out, Paramount was like, yeah, you're all, you're all coming back for a sequel. Like, yeah, like the, the discussions to, to sign um, the producers on, like Erskine and, and Lindelof and, and Orky and everybody, uh, Abrams was all done in like 2008 into early 2009 before the, the, the 2009 Trek made its debut. Um, and it was just one of those situations where everybody was like very game to come on board. Obviously, the actors all had their deals where they were, you know, signed for multiple movies as well. At least another one for most of the crew. Uh, I thought you meant like, you know, all actors, they had their deal. Like, you know, everybody's yeah. got a deal. They've got something going on with them. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing is, it's that, um, you know, by the time that the first movie is coming out, you know, Kurtzman, Orsi, Lindelof are already discussing ideas for another movie. There were discussions of doing the old two-parter scenario, like with you know, with like a pirates type of scenario where they just kind of write two films at once. Uh, and, and then it was decided that was taking one at a time. We don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. We'll just kind of do one sort of standalone sequel, and then we will go from there. Uh, the main complication in actually dating this movie was Paramount had two competing projects with Chris Pine being developed at this time: a, a second Star Trek movie. And what would become Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. And it was essentially like Paramount was like, we're developing both of these at the same time. And whatever one kind of gets closer to being finished first, we're going to shoot first. And it ended up being Star Trek into uh, Star Trek into Darkness. Um, so eventually, you know, they're kind of trying to come up with ideas. And Lindelof, you know, Lindelof, Arkin, and Kortzman are, are very sort of debating about what actually to do with Trek um, because, you know, and Abrams talked about it too, where it's like, there's such a wide variety of choices you could do. Cause you know, Roddenberry created so many worlds and characters and ideas in his original series that, you know, it's, it's so widespread that nothing really potentially stands out. And they talked about too, that at first it really came down to a Klingon story or a con story and eventually they went with a John Harrison story um, because, of course, who John Harrison. Oh, John Harrison, famous right. Star Trek villain in all the right. episodes. Um, so but it was it kind of came down to the fact that they didn't really want to do the same issue that Kane came up with the first movie. came up with this one where it's like, you know, doing a full story with the Klingons and that whole going back to that sort of antagonistic you know pseudo racism pseudo cold war type of thing it just felt like it was a little bit too difficult with what what the general consensus on klingons were and even just trying to tell a story like that in in that day and age um so they it, it, but also they knew that they couldn't just not acknowledge the klingons at all so they did decide to have a little bit of klingon background stuff in the movie itself that was something that was decided early on just to kind of acknowledge 
that they do exist and you know they are a big part of the star star trek universe um and then yeah the the con thing you know of course it's just there's no there's no way it's going to be con it's just there's no way it, it, it's just, you know, there was just like, okay, like we're going to do John Harrison. Can that's, I, that's I, I do want to say something because I'm going to forget. But what's funny is that the con thing is the perfect distillation of this entire movie. Like, it, it's just kind of funny because that has encompassed. It, it, it's going to be interesting going, like actually dissecting the movie. But that is like the defining quality of this movie's place in its entire in this entire franchise like yeah oh yeah the con thing yeah <laughs> it, it's like it's all it always like a lot of like like whether it's good bad everything kind of just fall like is either propped up or or falls based off of uh three words the con thing <laughs> so you're gonna hear that a lot with this like the con thing yeah yeah uh, so essentially the script kind of starts really getting to going, uh, in sort of the, the 2011 period, obviously Abrams is still busy too. Cause again, off of this success he's had with, with mission possible three and star Trek, he's a director on the rise. He's doing super eight. He's producing everything with, with, uh, you know, with bad robot, he's got this, you know, you know, other, all, all these other rumors of what he's going to do. And, you know, in 2011, he still doesn't know if he's going to come back, if he's going to hand it off to somebody else. You know, he he said he hadn't really even seen a script by the, uh, early 2011. And Paramount really wanted him back. Paramount was just like, we'll give you, you know, the money. We'll give you carte blanche to do direct what you want to direct. You know, they knew that a lot of the success of that first film was predicated on how Abrams, you know, put that film together and directed it in his vision for it. And so they really wanted him back for this one. And basically the negotiations, you know, were were really, you know, were were favorable to Abrams as, you know, as he had a lot of power and still does have a lot of power. Uh, but the main thing that Abrams got that he wanted for this movie was to shoot with IMAX. Uh, that was one of his main sort of things is that Paramount wanted him to shoot in, you know, with 3D cameras, because that was, again, 2011. We were just talked about it with Pirates 4. That was the big thing. Avatar and Abrams was more interested in in the IMAX cameras and thought that that was something he'd always wanted to do. And so basically the compromise was that Paramount would pay for the IMAX cameras if the film was post converted into 3D, which, you know, isn't too big of a deal. Uh, But Abrams was very excited to work with the uh, with the IMAX cameras. And that's it. Um, Essentially, Abrams started on this film right after he finished with Super 8. and it kind of joined in with the writing sessions on, on with Orsi Kerman and, and the, you the know office. what? That's so funny. You say that. Cause that is such an important thing about JJ Abrams. Like that was like the film in between the, the, the two star Trek films, because right now it's funny that you say star Wars was coming up because now everybody loves star Trek. And then now he was starting to develop a body of blockbuster work that would, get everybody like to refine their opinions on him Mm -hmm. so that it's interesting that you say that and it's also because like super eight which is you know a decent enough movie i I enjoy it i I think it's a solid solid movie but it is one of those things that has definitely gotten swallowed up in the shadow of abrams 
Yes. Yeah. Because I, again, I always remember seeing that in theaters too. And it was a very exciting sort of like, oh, again, the Abrams guy, right? He, this was a time where it was just like he was like sort of one of the most notable directors, you know, in Hollywood. And so to see him do like, okay, he's done his kind of big blockbuster stuff. He helped to make loss. He's helped make, you know, all these shows. And now he gets to do kind of his personal Spielberg esque, you know, movie. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal too. And, and that just that, that kind of era of Abrams. Uh, so yeah, the script is kind of finished around, you know, mid 2011, but sort of Abrams trying to finish super eight and sort of the questions that, you know, the negotiations about the involvement does essentially push the film to being from a 2012 release to a 2013 release, just for, you know, the scheduling purposes and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I think with that, it's just, so the, all of the main cast come back, you know, they're all signed on to, to be this, these Star Trek characters and they're, you know, enjoyed making that first one. They enjoyed working together. They're kind of getting that same sort of family vibe that the original crew had gotten. Um, you know, again, Pine was come, becoming a big, in theory, you know, Paramount darling, because he was also going to be involved with the new Jack Ryan film. So he got, you know, handsomely paid. Zachary Quinto was very excited to come back, as you know. Uh, Carl Urban even uh, went farther with his portrayal of um, Bones in this movie. As for the movie, he actually wore uh, a pinky ring that was similar to what uh, DeForest Kelly wore for the entire oh. run of the original series. Uh, so an extra little added detail. Did um, And then did he went because Star Trek Into Darkness. So did he he had done Dread by this point, right? Because uh, yeah. I think Dread. Yeah, he because Dread was a 2012 film. Yes, yes. Carl Urban is the man. He's, <laughs> he's, he's great. so good. He is so good. Dread's a film I haven't watched in a while. I feel like I need to watch it again. Yes, you do. Everybody, <laughs> Dread is awesome. Dread was great. That was a that was a fun theater experience. Yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. That time. But anyway, but yeah, it was just funny because yeah, you know, it, it's just it, so anyway. Continue what you're saying because I think that may. I, I may yeah, but a, it was just yeah. So it was just essentially like you know the the crew was even more so into you know coming back and, and kind of doing the further adventures of, of this crew because they, they all enjoyed playing it so much and um and it just the little details of like added details of what was going on with with the cast as well in terms of their characters you know what was a lot of fun for them to kind of play into in this film yeah and then and and it's also like, you know, I don't want to say that they were not on the map, but it definitely, you know, Star Trek definitely gave all of these people like a more mainstream bump. Like mm-hmm. whether it be like in the and I'm not saying like everybody's a movie star now, but it definitely at least in the circles that mattered and followed all this stuff like everybody yeah. like and maybe it was just me, but like, you know, all of these people started be- to become names that you would want in your movies. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, like we kind of talked about where, you know, Pine was doing multiple franchises for Paramount and was, you know, doing things where he would be doing like, you know, stuff like Into the Woods not too long. Out. You know, he was going to be, uh, you know, one of the he was one of the Chris's now. He was one of the Chris's. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100 percent. And even like Seldana, right? We talked about like, you know, it was Avatar and then this and then right into Guardians and she's kind of fighting. Yeah. Uh, and, and and Peg at this point, too, was really kind of, you know, showcasing more of his sort of mainstream film blockbuster appeal out even outside of the, the Edgar Wright movies. And him being in this definitely put up in the Star Trek films, definitely put a boost to, you know, the world's end mm-hmm. and, and a lot more attention to that final movie in that trilogy as well. You're, you're very it, right. 
And, and you know, another thing about Pine, it's interesting because it's funny, like how much we made fun. Like, I mean, if any, like longtime veteran listeners of Bonzilla um, know about our entire saga with the Jack Ryan series. Mm-hmm. And it is funny that we um, that we made fun of that so much. And it's funny going back to that is that you do see this slightly different side of Chris Pine. But, like, he definitely got caught up in that. And it's something – it's interesting. It's something you don't quite see anymore. But it was in that era of forcing your new movie lead. Mm-hmm. And, like, not that – because people did like Chris Pine. But it was in that era. It's like, all right, now he's Kirk. You love him. So now he's going to lead another action movie. Like, he's going to be your new white lead. Like, he, like he kind of – like. Like culturally, he kind of got sucked up in that. But it's funny that like when we went back and watched that movie and now that we're watching like, you know, this like, oh, like that was a a slightly different side of him. Yeah. So it's funny that it came down to both of those films. Yeah. And and it's interesting, too, that like, again, just I I, again, I can't speak for Pine, but it's, it's I think this is still this era of Pine where he's still kind of you know, enjoys doing this. And I don't say he doesn't enjoy acting, but I always got the sense with him. I think I've talked about it a little bit before in some other episode. I've always got the sense with him that he doesn't like being a celebrity. No, no, no. He likes likes acting, but he he doesn't like that attention. He doesn't like having to do like the celebrity things of like going to do interviews and going to do convention. Well, that's what I mean. In like retrospect, like just culturally, I mean, he got sucked up in that whole, here's your new lead. Like that, that's how he was being sold as and probably rightfully so. And then like then, you know, he's had a period of like probably doing, you know, then then, you know, because because he was in every like then he was in rom coms. Like When yeah. you really look at his career, it was and it was it was like they were making him the, the new white lead and everything you could. Yeah. And then he got some more interesting roles, I think. And then now he has a more. Di- diverse career like, yes i don't yeah. know if we ever talked about like did we mention in the last one about pine and like why he's actually kind of awesome in the wonder woman movies no we didn't we didn't talk about that at yeah. all actually well it's just interesting because like now that i'm thinking about it like you can kind of see like this career of like and we've said that like there are some like really fun things he does with kirk but it's just funny that he's gone from leading man kirk headlining a star trek series to the co-lead in the wonder woman movie where you know he's a soldier but he is kind of a dork like he's kind of like a normal dude dork character like it's it's interesting i think that distills exactly where he went from leading man to can lead a movie but you know is not as a cliche white leading guy yeah oh for sure yeah, and I, and I think like you know we talk we can talk about like you know John Cho being excited that the little hints we get about you know Sulu's future. Yes, excited <laughs> to play with that. Yes, um, Yelchin. And that's one of those moments where I was like, oh my god, that's awesome. Yeah, and and Yelchin kind of going into a, a different part of the ship was fun for him, and just kind of being the kind of hectic like you know engineer guy for a good part of the movie that was fun for him. So stuff like that, they were all kind of excited to play little bits and pieces of these different characters uh also christopher uh sorry bruce greenward comes back as christopher pike uh for for a brief part of the movie and uh also speaking of returning people i'm sure you noticed that cupcake guy is back okay was that him that is him (laughs) 
and <laughs> the camera always like kind of like cut away and i was like is that cupcake <laughs> and i have i have an update on research i did about that character uh-huh so they so with the you know these movies they were also doing sort of star trek comics based on this era of films and the star trek comics made it canon that the cupcake guy is no a way. character from the original series. Oh my god! That that is like a red shirt that dies in one of the episodes, um, the apple, and then this movie makes that complete canon because they use the same character name, which is um, Hendorf. And in fact, the comics do the episode where he dies and he actually survives thanks to thanks to Spock. So just to know that like it, that is technically a character from the original series of films man oh um, man which is great long, but long live cupcake guy long live the cupcake man uh but there are some new characters quote unquote in this movie um you know benedict cumberbatch we talked about him mm-hmm. is john harrison good for him uh the role oh wait you mean oh john Harry? oh Famous Star Trek villain in all the episodes. Okay. Oh yeah. Right. John Harrison. Um. Well, the the role was definitely ori- not anybody else. Well, the role of John Harrison was originally going to be Benicio del Toro. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And it was he was signed on for a while, and then the delays and sort of other things going on, just he had to drop out. And the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, um suggestion was actually by J.J. Abrams' good friend, Steven Spielberg, uh, who had worked with Cumberbatch on the film War Horse. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they did the audition, and you know, he, you know, Cumberbatch did it with his phone, and they did a lot of meetings, and uh, Cumberbatch didn't know who his character was until a week after he signed on for the movie. <laughs> um, and it's definitely not Khan, because J.J. Abrams told us it wasn't Khan, Simon Pegg told us it wasn't Khan. Very, very flatly was like, it's not Khan. Everybody in the production was like, hey, guys, stop thinking it's Khan because it's definitely not Khan. <sighs> so get that in your heads, audience. Yeah. Bennett yeah. Cumberbatch is not playing Khan. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. sorry. He is definitely playing Starfleet crew member betrayer john harrison john harrison well and then that was the thing right because like john harrison like technically was a character in like it was like a name somewhere in star trek so they were i mean my understanding of they were always trying to be like okay this is like an obscure named character that maybe the idea was even though everybody saw through the ruse was like Oh, we're like kind of like taking like a no name character from the franchise and like a- adapting it into like a-, a new big villain, which is a cool idea, like on paper, if that's what you wanted to do. And but then, you know, then, you know, what happened happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like a lot of that, a, a lot of the, the con the con thing. I, I feel like the con thing we need to save until we talk about the actual movie itself. No, I agree. That's why I'm I'm telling you it's not con. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John. But let's talk about let's talk about the other star studded cast, like Alice Eve. <laughs> As uh, who's yeah. br- who's bringing in all of her charm and charisma <laughs> to the movie. Well, again, here's uh, this is a character that we can talk about. It's uh, 
Yeah, Alice Eve is uh, one Dr. Carol Marcus, mm-hmm. um, who, of course, uh, we know also from Wrath of Khan, which I, would, I don't know why I said also, because John Harrison is in the Wrath of Khan. Um, but Carol Marcus obviously has the relationship with, with Kirk and all the time travel stuff. Has their paths crossed a little earlier than normal. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, especially because we also get to meet her father. Uh, who is RoboCop. Yep. Peter Weller himself as uh, the uh, father of Carol Marcus, Admiral Alexander Marcus, who, you know, Alice Eve, also very British in this movie. Very British. (laughs) And her father, distinctly not British. And I know that's not like the thing, but like, but also, you know, Carol Marcus. It is funny. It it is kind of funny. It's really funny how time travel can mess up accents, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that that's you know our crew. I mean, I, hey, Deep Roy's back as well. Yes, yeah, he yeah. is. Um, here's a here's a fun little thing. Apparently, Heather Langenkamp is in this movie. <laughs> she's somewhere in there. Yeah, she's like under like allegedly like she's like in like um like in makeup. Like she's like really heavily in makeup. Yeah, but but now all I want to talk about in this movie is. Is she a Trekkie? Is she like, is she a friend with someone? Like, this is all now. I saw this in like the little notes and I was like, now this is all I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that as well. Um, And then, yeah, there's also that guy, uh, Noel Clark from Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And he had a role as the as the Starfleet officer who like bombs the thing at the beginning, Mm -hmm. Um, which he gets his own little little short film as well at the beginning of this movie. Uh, (laughs) you know they were really close to like that would be remember that era where like there would be like the little short that they put like online and it's kind of like the little fun it doesn't really need to be a part of the movie but it was like when everybody was really leaning into like like uh like transmedia where it's right. like you know you you could see the little prequel short online and that that, would that been, is what that opening feels like and, and that's the thing where it's like that it would eventually make it to the blu-ray and that, that eventually like went back to being like the blu-ray like the marvel one-shot blu-ray exclusive type right of thing. exactly 100 percent um yeah i mean just like with the first movie um uh, just keep going in um there was a lot of stuff that was done like, on locations, um, you know, naturally, yeah, you know, a lot of stuff around Los Angeles. Uh, there was a little bit more uh, studio shots at the Sony Pictures Studio in Culver City, um, but there is stuff at Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove and Greystone Mansion, Beverly Hills. Some shots were in Iceland. Some shots were at Paramount. You know, again, Abrams wanted to do a lot of stuff you know, on location again, but, you know, especially with this movie being a lot more ship-based than planet-based, um, that there was also a lot of stuff on the on the Star Trek, um, you know, lots over at Paramount. You know, Abrams directed 99.99% of this movie. Uh, I don't know if you remember this story. There is one shot that's not directed by Abrams in this film. Oh, really? Yes. What do you, am I supposed to guess or... Uh, I, I I don't know if you knew the story, but there is one shot in this film that's directed by Edgar Wright. No way! I did not know this. Yeah, it's one of the shots on Kronos um, that he he directed while visiting on set. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so the film shoots between um, January 2012 to May 2012. About 30 minutes are shot using the IMAX cameras. Um, so uh, everything else was shot on uh, 65 millimeter film as well. Um, Mark Oreck, uh, Mark Orkrend, who is the official Klingon language creator uh, returned for this film to do some of the things with the Klingon language to make sure everything was up to snuff. And in fact, uh, when the editing was happening, the language no longer made sense. So they had to bring Orkin back for the dubbing of that scene uh, to ensure that the, the, the Star Trek, the Klingon was Canon mm-hmm. and, 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 and correct. Um, because of course that is very important uh, to track films. And I'm glad that they do. Uh, Jakino also returns for the score. Um, and this was uh, Jukino continuing to be the the mastermind that he is, um, and, and, and it's interesting because I I don't think we'll really get a chance to talk about it, but it's been interesting to see how Jukino has been very into his Trek stuff and his Trek work because he really based a whole he did a whole concert just with his Trek scores. He ended up directing one of the Star Trek animated shorts uh, for Paramount Plus slash CBS All Access at that time. Uh, uh, Kino has talked about how important doing these Trek films has been to him and, and how he continues. He, he's someone who's like, if they have a Trek film, I, I am in no matter what, you know, he will make time to do the Trek score if he can, because he really loves working on these movies. Mm-hmm. And it's good. Oh, yeah, I mean, every good. time that theme blasts, I like, I, I do get pumped, yes. especially that, like that little, like, like, it's just like that. Actually, right as the movie ended this time, I stuck really, I stuck around to listen to his like credits like the the original theme song mixed with his theme song that he does at the end of each movie. And you know it's really funny like that's almost like his personal. You know how like John Williams like the music cue for the credits on every Star Wars movie is like the same. Yeah. Like the, at least that initial one. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's kind of it like that's kind of his for this movie. Yes. For for these movies at least. Yeah. yeah. Cuz did he do it like I know it's jumping ahead but did he do it for Beyond? I believe he does. If I remember. Or is it one of those where it's like, it must be him, right? I, I didn't know if it was that or if it's kind of like, yeah, no, it's it's still it's still him, it's still Jakino, yeah, yeah. Well, dude, dude, I mean, I love how I'm like questioning, like, did Jakino work on something? <laughs> of course dude's he a, did. Dude is a workhorse. I will yes. say that dude is a workhorse. He's a machine. Anyway, go ahead. Um. So yeah, there's. I mean, obviously, like, it is funny because when you look back at sort of the making of this film, because. And we, I know we joked about it, because so much of it was surrounded in secrecy and the and the and the uh, and the mystery box, as it were. Um, it, it's just a lot of it was you don't really know so much about. I mean, obviously, Industrial Light and Magic worked on the the effects, um, and again, very much so. Or like this is just what they were doing at that time. You know, it had gone from being like the first film that they did that like, hey, the Star Trek films just a part of the rotation. Yet Industrial Light and Magic, it's part of the machine. Um, of course, this was among the you know the early films that were worked on after Disney had purchased Industrial Light and Magic, though they still operate as an independent arm uh, of the company. Uh, hey, the last thing I want to talk about is that nobody knew what the title of this movie. It was it was the biggest conversation around this movie in terms of the producers that there was no no consensus title because the the thing was is that they didn't want to do a number. Because mm. they didn't want to, you know, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan already existed, and they didn't want to be like, "Hey, it's Star Trek Twelve now," you know, whatever. Um, but and 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 Lindelof and Orky talked about um, 
how it's always hard with Trek. Like once you just put the colon, you know, nobody really cares about the title after like, yay, not that like insurrection and, and nemesis aren't like decent titles, but like nobody, nobody really cares what the title is. They see the Star Trek and they're going to they're going to go. Uh, Lindelof's suggested title for the movie was Star Trek Transformers 4. Um, cause he said it was technically available and, uh, there was no better title. And eventually, essentially it was just Star Trek in the darkness. Cause that was the only thing they could really conceivably come up with. It is that, funny. That's a, that's a funny joke. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, you know, the movie, you know, it is ready for its, you know, early, that early summer release, you know, the May summer release, May 17, 2013, sort of that. We're, we're in the throes of the summer movie season, and it's our big blockbuster for Paramount of this movie season. Uh, and, and, and the story around this movie, and we've kind of talked about it already, but the story really around this movie is sort of the how much they hid going into it or much how much they tried to hide going into it yeah i mean it's when the mystery box like jj's mystery box like really started to like become like a dominant figure in in what he was doing with the movie because like and because there was a level of it where you could argue that was with super eight but i guess there was like a level of like it was an original film nobody really knew what it was so there was i think there was some patience to embrace that aspect of it yeah i was about to say the same thing because obviously there was like kind of hiding us like you know some sort of sci-fi element of what super eight was but it because it was the original film and there wasn't sort of the elements of it having any baggage in terms of it being like a franchise or even being like you know i mean but i but i also think it's like the yeah again the context of super eight where it's like Oh, like if they did a mystery box thing and then it was revealed in the movie, like, hey, this is a secret E.T. sequel. I feel like there's a different I feel like there's a different thing where it's like the same thing. Like in this movie, you know, if we're any, you know, if you were mystering and it was just John Harrison and there was no other. Was you, I mean, there is. I, well, I mean, if we're talking about it, like I'm just going to come out and say it like it's like the thing is, is that I I have started to find myself on the side of the commitment to secrecy with these types of movies is, is kind of getting out of control, I think. Yeah. And I think that it does more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it, it somewhat affects the actual production of the films, but it definitely has just warped the culture around like how we look at these films, how we talk about them, how we anticipate them. There's like so exhausting. Like I was so like, the lead up to Spider-Man would have been so much more fun if it just wasn't mired in like trying to hide secrets and like and then what secrets are out there and what are not. And then and then and then you get into the game where it's like then you have everybody like trying to get the secrets out of yeah. uh, of people and, you know, they can't say anything. And, and it's it's just. And then, like, it, it, the problem is, is, like, now it becomes, like, the, the, these movies become, like, you're just waiting for them to get through the thing. So you can, like, kind of move on and, like, okay, like, they confirmed the secret. Yes. Now I can watch the movie. <laughs> like, and I, and, and I think, I, I also think it's, again, sort of the, again, what, what you don't have with a Super 8 is, like, the obviousness of something. Like, it, it, it happened with Spider-Man to a to degree, and definitely with this movie, where... 
it was obvious what the truth was and the fact that they were so adamant about like that's not what it is guys and then they have to come out after the movie is like yeah we got you it was the thing you guys all said it was yeah it, and i guess like maybe it's just, there, it's just there's dumb. a level yeah there's a level of like to, to be fair to them like maybe there is a level of play with that like is it the biggest deal that you you know you know or don't know who it is but i i think it was an, it was an ill I, I just don't think it was it was for the best yeah it, it's a tricky it's a tricky scope it's a tricky slope yeah when you're doing that because i know like recently there was a thing where it's like recently with like like a wrestling thing where there was like a big name coming back and they kind of like didn't say it didn't say it but they kind of explicitly hinted it but they wanted you to know they wanted you to know like it is going to be this guy we just don't we want you to kind of have that little bit of doubt whereas this one it was like like I, I know he didn't it, it, like it's at one point Simon Pegg's essentially like I swear on my life it's not Khan like that's the sort of fever that they had to show you that Khan wasn't in the movie be, no and that's the problem it became that's why the Khan thing became the defining aspect of this film yeah and in and, some and, ways and in some ways I do think people rightfully like shit on that <laughs> they should have. But but at the same time, I think it's also to unfairly the film's detriment as we get, talk into it. Yeah, you know and, what I mean because yeah. it, it just has defined it has defined the film to a the, to a to a fault. Yes, and I think with that, I think that's a good uh, transition uh, to uh, head into actually talking about the film Star Trek Into Darkness. Let's do it. Why is there a man in that torpedo? There are men and women in all those torpedoes, Captain. I put them there. Who the hell are you? A remnant of a time long past. Genetically engineered to be superior so as to lead others to peace in a world at war. But we were condemned as criminals, forced into exile. For centuries we slept, hoping when we awoke things would be different. But as a result of the destruction of Vulcan, your Starfleet began to aggressively search distant quadrants of space. My ship was found adrift. I alone was revived. I looked up John Harrison. Until a year ago, he didn't exist. John Harrison was a fiction created the moment I was awoken by your Admiral Marcus to help him advance his cause. A smokescreen to conceal my true identity. My name is Khan. Why would a Starfleet Admiral ask a 300-year-old frozen man for help? Because I am better. At what? Everything. Alexander Marcus needed to respond to an uncivilized threat in a civilized time. After that, he needed a warrior's mind. My mind to design weapons and warships. You are suggesting the Admiral violated every regulation he vowed to uphold simply because he wanted to exploit your intellect. He wanted to exploit my savagery. Intellect alone is useless in a fight, Mr. Spock. You, you can't even break a rule. How would you be expected to break bone? Marcus used me to design weapons to help him realize his vision of a militarized Starfleet. He sent you to use those weapons to fire my torpedoes on an unsuspecting planet. 
And then he purposely crippled your ship in enemy space, leading to one inevitable outcome. The Klingons would come searching for whomever was responsible and you would have no chance of escape. Marcus would finally have the war he talked about, the war he always wanted. No. No. I watched you open fire in a room full of unarmed Starfleet officers. You killed them in cold blood. Marcus took my crew from me. You are a murderer. He used my friends to control me. I tried to smuggle them to safety by concealing them in the very weapons I had designed. But I was discovered. I had no choice but to escape alone. And when I did, I had every reason to suspect that Marcus had killed every single one of the people I hold most dear. So I responded in kind. My crew is my family, Kirk. Is there anything you would not do for your family? Proximity alert, sir. There's a ship at warp heading right for us. Klingons? At warp? No, Kirk. We both know who it is. I don't think so. It's not coming at us from Kronos. Oh, all right. Star Trek. Star Trek Into Darkness. Into uh, Darkness. Um, again, a meaningless title. Doesn't doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that's, I think, also the worst part about it. It's just kind of like a generic, like... It's almost like, it's just like, oh, we're doing the darker sequel. And yeah, that's just- 100% what it feels like. And that, that's why it just feels, it feels so derivative and boring and it doesn't mean anything. And it's also like a weird, it's trying to be a funny play on the title, like of Star Trek. And we're like, we get it where you're trekking into something because that's what you tre- like. I, I get it. Stop. I mean, it would make stop doing it like if honestly, if like this was just they did like the V'ger cloud or something to that extent, you know, yeah. that would have made much more sense. But there's really not much in this movie that that makes sense of that title so i i i want to start off this one a little bit because with just this in mind going into i feel like i'm gonna i'm going to take the position of not defending the movie but definitely sticking up for its merits more than i thought i was going to because it's been it's been a it's been a bit and you know i'm gonna advocate for aspects of the film and like you know i i think you know what here is my here's my thing i think there's a lot of good faith in this movie i think that there's like a good faith like what they're going for and there's things where i don't think the choices work but i can see where they're coming from with making those choices and but one of my biggest things about the film when i was like watching it was like for lack of a better term, they're telling the wrong story or or at the very least, they don't know which story they should tell. So they just kind of tell like a very vague version of all the stories that they want to tell. And that's kind of how I felt about this movie. Yeah, now, honestly. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Because 
No, I actually that that's kind of my thesis statement. Like I'll I'll, I'll circle back to it, but that that's kind of how I feel about it because I I feel like when I look at like little things about it, I'm like, okay, like that's actually not bad. Like that there there's not too much that I see, and maybe it's just because I'm tired. And there's a little bit of me where I'm like, I'm just like kind of like loosening up the reins on like bitching about things. Yeah. <laughs> so like there are little things like like the secrecy about Khan is dumb. Um, Khan is also. Benedict Cumberbatch does some interesting things in this movie that I like, but if it's Khan, it's 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 incredibly miscast. Um, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, it, it's incredibly miscast with the story that they're trying to tell and that well I, I have so many like little like kind of details about that but i did find myself enjoying a few moments and chuckling at a few moments and like the energy and i and i ultimately did and this is like the biggest benefit i ultimately did find myself being like i'm a fan of jj's directing like i really am like he like there is a there is a warmth and there's like a comfort with the characters and their interplay. There's like a fun propulsive attitude to what he does. I think like his Star Trek imagery is to me interesting. There's a few scenes where they go a little heavy on the lens flare, <laughs> like comically. So, mm -hmm. but like, I'm a fan of his, like, that's the thing. Like I, I, I always watch his movies and I'm like, I'm always like, Oh, the energy of his films like as, as like a specific energy that I feel like I don't even see in like a lot of other blockbusters that I like. Yeah. But there's just something weird. I don't know what it is about his storytelling that is so that, that misses the mark sometimes. I, I don't, I haven't quite gotten it on. Like I, I, and I don't, I think a lot of people like have criticized him and I haven't like really heard a criticism that I like, I really latch onto, but yeah, I mean that that that's how I feel. But I think ultimately, I I don't think that they pit. I, I think that they they didn't tell the right story, or they didn't focus on the right story. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where I I, I came at. With. Yeah, I, I actually had a very similar uh, feeling when I was watching this movie. It, one of the things was like, there is a lot of good. There's a good sort of movie and a good sort of time at the movies in this, and there's a lot of things I did like and I still like a lot of interplay between the characters and I still think they capture a lot of what I like about the original series characters in this film. I do think that there's a lot of that still. The The problem with this is it gets bogged down by the con baggage and like... Would you, would you agree with this? Sorry to interrupt, but I, I do want to just kind of get on the same page with this. I think that the movie is actually not that bad and then starts to really lose footing when they arrest Khan. Yes. Yes. Like like that that is when it, it starts like really just losing yeah, it, it just starts to stumble. And, but that's exactly that's when you get the big reveal that it's Khan and spoiler alert, John Harrison is Khan as much as they wanted to tell you it wasn't. And, and it But just, wait, but John Harrison, he's the famous Star Trek villain. He's in all the episodes. And I I just get the I always got the feeling even when I saw it and I liked it at the time and I, I think my as I've gotten more in the track my view on this movie specifically ha has gotten low and now I haven't seen this really in a long time so rewatching it like yeah there are things that are very good about it there are things that still stick well from that 2009 version but it's just like sort of the baggage of having a, a, a character that is like 
retcon like there and not necessarily adapting him that well in terms of really capturing what people like about Khan, what makes Khan a character. Because I'm not even talking about like, not just Wrath of Khan Khan, but even like this isn't really that close to Space Seed Khan either, other than the base thing of like, oh, he can manipulate you, which, you know, is a villain oh, thing to do. So, but like, yeah, yeah finish I, your statement. Cause I, I actually, I, yeah, okay. I have I a good rebuttal like, to this. I feel like this movie just would have benefited from just either doing an original villain or doing some other, like, not that you Star Trek villain. Cause I remember the other thing too was when they were so adamant that it wasn't Khan. Obviously, like, people were like, well, it's got to be somebody because you're not just going to name a villain John Harrison. And, so a lot of people were like, oh, this could be a take on like the Gary. And Mitchell. you know what? And that that in in of a, in and of itself distills the downfall of how we anticipate these movies. Yeah. Like this whole like, well, it can't be that. It has to be something well, more important to me. Right. Well, like, that's that's it, the it, thing too, because I mean it's like this, I mean, it's the same sort of in a different way, but a lot of the same sort of base mistakes happened eventually with Rise of Skywalker too, where it's like you get this feeling that they're like, well, we ha- we have to do something like we have to do something where like a recognizable character comes back or we have to do something with this because that's what the audience demands. It's like not necessarily you can do something very interesting with like a relatively unknown or a character we haven't really used yet. Because what I was saying is that one of the prevailing theories when it wasn't Khan was the character of Gary Mitchell, who was a character in the original pilot episode, who was like a friend of Kurt's who gets imbued with like godlike superhuman powers and Kirk has to stop him. And I was always like, that would have been an interesting way to go where you could tell told a similar story in some senses, but just you know, a little bit even more personal to Kirk, where it's like, you know, he finds out it's actually like a, a old friend of his from Academy or something like that. But the fact that it's like you have Khan and you have this baggage of Khan. Wrath of Khan is already considered not just the greatest Star Trek film, but one of the greatest science fiction films ever made and consistently on those lists. And one of the most iconic performances of that with Ricardo Montalban and all the iconic moments from that movie, th- there's already just so much baggage to it. Well, I mean, that like that it's just like it's just like that's what I'm thinking about when I'm watching the movie. That's what I'm thinking about. And I, I I just don't think that they do enough with Khan to justify it being Khan. No, no. I mean, the bottom line is that he should have just been a character named John Harrison. And then they form a plot around that and yes. then just just do that. The, and it, it doesn't work. The Khan thing doesn't work for several reasons. And I think the easiest jokey of the reasons is is that it is funny when he reveals like the big my name is Khan. And then. Yeah, and and here's where I say it's in good faith because you could argue, and I and I believe this is what they were going for. You could believe like this is something that's going to mean something to fans, but if you don't know, it's kind of like we're introducing like a great villain to you. Like I like that's where it's like I'm going to give him the credit because that it, like I don't think it works yeah. because it's too iconic and like there's too much of a. There's too, like Star Trek and it, it's there's too much of a fandom around Star Trek to play tricks like that. I, I yeah. think. No, I agree. But but, but I, I I'm going to give them the credit like that's what they were going for. But um, but I think everybody has kind of pointed that out and they're right. But it's the easy like thing to point out. I mean, the problem is it's like they they set up. It's the antithesis of the first movie, because the thing about the first movie was like they do this time travel thing and 
they do such an excellent job of recreating and recasting all of these characters that they're all different. And even if they're not exactly the same as like the other characters, like you look at each one of those characters and then you're like, I mean, Carl Urban is like, is bones. Yeah. Like you buy Zoe Saldana as a horror. Like it's like, so like all the care, like they just pitch perfect. Everybody is like the character that evokes the, the old character and, and do something different. This like the, now they're bringing in a character who is that character who, who who's in kind of the same boat as the as all the characters we saw in the last movie where it's like he's from like the the series we know but it's a new timeline so the first thing they do is just whitewash the character so it's like they don't even like yeah it's and, not even like good casting on on surface level yeah it's, like, it's very distinctly like i get like you know even for 2012 dude like i guess that is the same year that the lone ranger is coming out so like 2012 2013 all that sort of stuff which is again another thing with a similar issue but it really is just very distinctive that you're taking a role that was very distinctly made famous by yeah a a hispanic actor and a, a role that is defined by that actor's presence and just making it benedict cumberbatch and dude but dude yeah, like it's like JJ did both movies. Like the dude set the precedent in his first film. Yeah, like he like he was the one who set that up. Like if if it's now we were if we were just recasting everybody, regardless of what they look like or how they acted, whatever. I don't think I would have had a, had a problem with it. Like I mean, you know, you don't want to whitewash like you know the most iconic character ever with like the the whitest guy, but like but you already set the precedent that like the all these people are those same people, you know. So you yeah. can't it, it that doesn't right. really work. So you 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 have all that, and then and not even to give them big enough pecs, right? <laughs> and then the other thing too is like, and then this is going to pivot into something more interesting is that. It just there's there's just it just feels like con and name only like it just does not feel and I actually like yeah he keto. gets a yeah he gets a little bit of he, yeah keto he gets a little bit like much toward the end but I actually am like I I I was into Cumberbatch's performance I I thought like that there was a lot of fun if not hammy stuff he was doing but I but I liked it but it's like but it's not con it's it's not con like at least like if that original benicio del toro casting had been happening you would have had that weird energy that that mccardo montalban gives con right like like you would have had a little bit you would have had a little bit more like just cumberbatch is just not the fit like i don't think cumberbatch is necessarily a bad villain and again like he could have played the john harrison or even that gary mitchell role i talked about earlier if you like did a version of that you could definitely see him playing one of those types of roles but not Khan. It okay, just doesn't so, fit. It doesn't fit. He doesn't well, he, have the, the the personality. No, that, well, that's that, the thing. He doesn't have a personality. Like, he, he's doing the... It's funny also seeing him in this movie and how much I, like, considerably like him more in other movies, even though I do, like, like some of his performance in this. But he is doing, like, this Sherlocky. I'm a cold, calculated... Like, like, I'm like, I'm a, like, I'm a, I'm a shaken up soda about the burst. Like, it's like, that's kind of like the energy like he has. And he's like, he's like you, it's like, and he's like, his mouth is like always contorting and shit like that. Like he's going, and it's just, Khan was kind of like sometimes kind of like, you know, an angry dude, but like still had like almost like a 
sinister calmness about him and like you know like you know he had like you know intellect and like i i don't know i'm not i'm thinking of the right word but you know what i mean it wasn't what cumberbatch no is it's doing. not it's not there's again because again what 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 makes ricardo Montalban's con so great is his cult of personality it's he's he's so charismatic that he can really get you on your side, I mean, that was the whole thing about the original Space Seed episode. Like, his whole thing is that he convinces, like, a member of the Enterprise crew to portray, you know, the 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 whole rest of the ship because of just his charm and his personality and how, you know, caring he can seem and, and, and that sort of cult, you know, cult leader-esque tendencies, you know, for lack of a better term. And, and you know, because Cumberbatch just plays it very much more kind of a little bit more sort of psychopathic manipulation where he oh just, yeah like it looks like a guy where just if you looked into his eyes it's like a like a like a raging killer and yes. it's like it's that's not what Khan was yeah it, like he but here's my thing here he, and he this is like like I, I was trying to figure out what is not working about this movie and here's what it is there is actually a way to make this work and here's the defense I think that they would make this Khan despite being terribly miscast the idea you could do is that Khan is basically the part two of everything that Star Trek the 09 was about. Because the conceit of this film with Khan is that because of the Kelvin timeline and because Vulcan was destroyed, it basically shifted Starfleet's priorities. And then they started like doing space, they started exploring space like in a more unprecedented manner that they ever did before. And the implication was they found the botany bay mm-hmm. and they, and then they found Khan and his people in, in cryo sleep. And this is a little bit of a stretch. I, I think they could have finessed this a little bit more, but then RoboCop, you know, he is all like, now he's like war bound. He thinks like war is inevitable. So he wants to get prepared for it. So he wakes up Khan and he holds the rest of his people hostage and is using Khan's intellect to basically prepare Starfleet for war is like the idea. And then part of like Khan's thing is like, so now he's in this position where he's kind of being like enslaved for his mind and his people are being held hostage. So I think that there is a, there is an idea in that in the same way that the events of the Kelvin timeline and everything going on, that the destinies of, like the specifics of Kirk and Spock's life and what defined them have now changed. Yes. So there is an idea that like, well, that's interesting. Well, now what if, like you could see if you were pitching an idea, it's like, well, what if the same thing happened to their greatest villain? Like what if there was like, instead of being like the guy who was kind of crazy and like revenge bound that he didn't like he got all of his people killed because he was just blind with rage what if these new events made him this sympathetic guy who is now all about like i have to protect my people and i got like wouldn't you do anything to protect your crew like that's interesting yeah that's a good idea and and you can so there is like the 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 modicum of defense I would give it is like okay well I can believe that now the new events of the Kelvin timeline has have changed this guy I don't think that they modulate that in the right way and I don't think that they tell that story as effectively right yeah but but yeah but that's what I mean like it's like 
and you set it up. You said you even say it in the movie. You specifically say in the movie that because of the events of the previous movie, like the the implication is like, oh, the destiny has changed. And the de and and much in the same way that Kirk and Spock um eventually do cross paths and and this movie solidified like there, there's so much good among this because at the end of the day, you can say like, because a lot of also this movie is like the origin story of like how Kirk and Spock actually do become best friends. Like mm -hmm. that's another kind of plot point in the movie. So you can see like, I think the problem with the movie is like, there's a lot of good story type ideas. But I think that it would have behooved them just to focus on just tell a part two to what you set up in the first one yeah and then make it all about like this new timeline has affected everybody in a certain way and destinies are colliding in different ways and lives are changed and i think that if they had laser focused on that idea i, I think that that would have justified if you had to use con I, I guess that's what i'm saying yeah and and i i guess it's always my thing too it's just like you know, there's that sense of just like, oh, it's like a part two and Wrath of Khan part. This is like that weird sort of thing where it's like, well, we got to use Khan at some point. It's like, you don't really have to, but I get I get it. But I but, also but, but there is value. I think there's value. To there's that. Like, valid that yeah. value that. But I also feel like there's two points I want to make one directly to that. But the other point I want to make is like, I just think like when you really talk about like the wider world of Trek and, the, you know, you could have just done so many other you could have pulled out one of the, like the various god creatures you could have done that you could have done you know one of any number of things and just to redo con i just feel like you're just already setting yourself up because you've got to be that laser focus the other thing about con which which you kind of brings to your point is if there was more of a laser focus the other problem with con is because you're there really isn't a focus of what he actually wants because yes he does want to like save his crew but then there's also like exposing sort of this like semi-corrupt starfleet stuff where they're making secret weapons and then it's like well is he lying about that no he isn't but then he's still kind of a bad guy and he's still crashing things in the starfleet headquarters for revenge and then he's going to escape like there's still a lot of like not really like a focus of like what his drive actually oh, what his what his the, plan actually is at the end the, of the whole day. the whole like wouldn't you do every anything to protect your people is maybe where the most interesting stuff with Khan uh begins and ends in this movie like because yeah. I was like oh that because I remember when I saw it like I like this is a good scene he's really selling it and I and I like this idea I, I like this idea that like now this guy is like you know that that is what his goal is but then they also, you're right, but then the movie tries to pivot in like, oh, but by the way, just so you know, he was a war criminal and like, he's like, and and it, when, when push comes like, to shove, he's going to, like, I mean, even I think Spock says it in the movie because he's like, somebody's like, we're going to continue our mission. And then Spock's like, which if I'm correct, is you like destroying the human race, right? And he's like, ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it, Mr. Spock. Well, because again, it's just like, right. It's because that's, again, I was mentioning this whole thing where it's like, well, like I'm a bad guy, but look, RoboCop's also a bad guy. So we're going to get him. But guess what? I'm still a bad guy too. And it's just like, there's this is like thing where it's like, there's not that 
they're just like the what is actually happening around Khan just shifts. Yeah. So many different times that there's but never speaking really, of but never speaking really of RoboCop, like a, a drive. Yeah. Well, speaking of RoboCop, that's another thing where, you know, they're trying again. It's all kind of window dressing. And maybe that's the way they wanted to tell the story. I'm not trying to rewrite it, but you can tell that they're kind of framing the story as like all the events of the first movie have kind of changed it. And like there there is a level of like. I mean, I don't know. Like, I know that it's a it's a it's a piece of contentiousness with the star with with Star Trek fans. But I think that there's like a good Star Trek story to say, like, okay, well, all this stuff is going on, and now is Star Trek going to go the route of are they going to be explorers or are they going to be a military operation? Right. And then that kind of becomes like the villain's plan. But I don't ever feel like the movie is telling that story no it's it, it, it it's kind of like that's very much like just surface level where because you can it, it, there's a point too where it's just like oh like you're kind of thinking like well it's it's just con manipulating them and it's really not that bad and then you know then robocop's gonna kill off the entire enterprise like that was his plan and then you're like oh all right well i guess like we're root you know and then you, you i get what you're doing too because you're kind of showcasing like no the Enterprise crew is like what's going to define the future of Star Trek and they're going to go on the five year mission. And that's where you're leading up to and that they they are going to be sort of the same pinnacle of Starfleet operations as they are in the original timeline. But it just it, 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 you're right in that, the, especially the second half of the movie, just it just jumps all over the place in terms of what it's actually telling and focusing on and what story well, it's relaying to you. The also the the problem, which is nice, because I often I always like when the characters do the right thing. I I, I like that, and you know, like oh, I mean, this I, is a, this is a good like I love I love a flawed character, but ultimately will be a good guy because like I just think like that's what's so powerful about some of these characters is like at right. the end of the day they choose to do the right thing. But like, so it's funny because in the first half of this movie, everybody kind of comes to a completion with like an earlier arc they were doing. So like by the 45 minute mark, Kirk has decided like, okay, I'm not going to assassinate this guy. That's wrong. Mm -hmm. Spock and Ahura like solve their differences. Yeah. Like uh, all this stuff. And then they kind of figured out like, yeah, like this guy wants to start a war and that's wrong. So then you're right. And then the rest of the movie kind of just becomes like a vague chase between ships and just a vague a vague gotta stop the bad guy right yeah um i do like the opening though the cold opens a lot of fun yes it is it's a it's a lot of fun the yeah because i know that that was also a thing where that was very much like abrams wanted like an indiana jones type feeling to it where like you're gonna cold open on something like that and i i think it was the colors were great of the planet. I thought that like, again, it really defines sort of like those characters again, where it's like Kirk was like, you know, kind of more concerned with like saving the people, but like, you know, he's, he's got the prime directive under control. He doesn't really care about it. That sort of thing. Uh, Spock on the volcano was really a lot of fun. There's just a really fun sort of collection of moments. Bones is great. Of course, as well. Yeah, I, I love when like he accidentally stuns like or shoots the, like the, like that cow creature or whatever. And then yeah. just like if Bones is like, damn it, man, that was our ride. Like, it's just yeah. like that. It just distilled they're, like, they're, Oh my God. So much fun. They're trying to kill us, Jim. They're yeah. trying to kill us. And then like there, and then there was and this kind of also like, like, one of the things that I do think this movie did better than the last movie is that convinced me of the Spock horror relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that they really kind of like made me engaged in that. But there's this really fun moment in like 
when they're suiting him up and he's like, you, you've you got to go down into this volcano and they're doing like, they're trying to deactivate the volcano, right? That's right. like yeah, the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, he's got like this ice cube device. It's basically going to freeze the volcano and save the planet. Right. So they're going to go down and then like, um, you know, Ahura's dressing up Spock and Spock's giving like, it's like, oh, well, remember, sir. It's like, you know, you we must not violate the prime directive. And then like Ahura gives like this little like, oh. My nerdy best friend. Like, it's just this brief look and little moments like that. I'm like, like, you really like, I mean, it's why, like, you know, as we go into the third movie, you even want to see a third movie because these characters are so much fun. Yes. You know, yeah, they just really have sold their relationship with each other. Yeah. Uh, And it's just like, again, like the the spot kind of gets stuck on the on the volcano and he's kind of accepting his death. And Kirk makes the decision like. You know, screw the prime directive. We're going to show these guys this ship, this these natives this ship, and we're going to save Spock. You know, and then the natives start worshiping the Enterprise, which you know, a good a good way to end the cold open. Also, the cold open does a thing, and I, I think I think it's fair to say that maybe this movie is. I think JJ got a little too cute with Star Trek references in this movie. And the first one being like, you know, he he gives the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, which doesn't really make sense in that context. Like, I don't know. Like, is I don't think like that's what the prime no. directive is about. Like, no. it's not. Yeah. The needs that, of the many outweigh the need of few is because like the entire in the original movie, the it was either the entire ship was going to d- get destroyed or he sacrifices himself. It's right. not like a, we have to make sure like that they evolve correctly. Like it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that one was a little bit much. And again, it's just more like that one because there are other a few other Star Trek references in here that are not directly to Khan that I like. But I feel like the ones that are directly be like, hey, it's just again, it's just a remembrance of like, oh, yeah, Wrath of Khan. That was a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, like more distinctly happens again, much at the end of the movie. But there there's a few other like nice world building references that I like that that, from like someone who's more into Trek now. Mm Um, then we get the short film with our other dude who's like, daughter is dying and Khan's like, I can save your daughter. Oh my God. That reminds me of another thing that was super. Remember when he, so he goes to him on the balcony. He's like, I can save her. Who are you? And then it's just, (laughs) it just cuts to just Benedict Coverbatch staring there. And it's like this, this zoom up close. Like, I'm like, oh my God, they did the con moment twice. Cause it's just silly. Like it wasn't like, like who's watching this movie and they're like, Oh my God. <laughs> like that would have been a moment. Like if you had gotten Ricardo Montalban back to play like old con for some right, reason. Right. Right. Like, that's exactly. a moment where it's like, Oh my God. Like, how is he alive? Like, no, but it's just like, it's just a white guy. He like just standing there being like, I can be really helpful to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, oh, yeah, I agree. That, and that then, was... and then we're kind of get what the setup is, is that, Kirk, you know, back on Earth, back at Starfleet headquarters, Kirk thinks they're going to get like the new five year mission, which is going to be like the first ever five year mission, you know, um, all that sort of jazz. They go into Pike's office and Pike basically reprimands Kirk for for being so careless on the planet and and violating the prime directive, which Kirk lied about on his report. But Spock, of course, was truthful. So essentially, like at the point is just like, hey, you know, Kirk has to go back to Starfleet. Spock's being reassigned. Pike's gonna, you know, you know, try to defend him. And then eventually, like, you know, we get to the bar. Uh, well, and then also, but like, yeah, I mean, it's funny because that, that you know, that whole scene gives like a lot of context to what's going on and what everybody's relationship is. And it kind of clarified that it kind of clarifies details like 
which is nice because it was like they they went there and they went against their orders and they saved a planet effectively is what happened and right. they weren't supposed to do that and and it's a little detail it's so subtle and i think it's kind of ill placed in the movie like that's a really fun character detail that like kirk you know you know the idea was like listen we get it like you tried to save this planet but by doing so you disobeyed orders you almost got people killed and i think that's a nice plot point that can easily get overlooked yeah well, especially because Kirk is is kind of defending. It's like like not one person has died on my watch, and like I didn't get anybody killed, and we say we saved people. Like I did yeah. the right thing, and then it's like that's the prime directive. Also, before I forget, uh, the beginning of that sort of sequence is Kirk waking up to a comms call and wakes up next to two tailed ladies. Of course. Which I want to mention is that the tails were not CG but actual animatronics, uh, which Pine said freaked him out. You know, and as long as uh, JJ's happy, I suppose. And you know, you know, he was really happy with like, oh, it's a practical tale. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, he was. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't, I don't laugh. You know. Listen, man. I that justified a... the whole thing for him is that it's a practical tale. Hey, it would justify it for me too. I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 give me the practical tales. Yeah. Um. Anyways. Uh, so then, yeah, so there's that stuff there, kind of like the relationship where, like, we kind of get this thing where, like, Kirk is sort of being like, you know, I am going to miss you, buddy. And then, you know, Spock still being Spock and still being a little, a little like, lot too logical, a little too, you know, uh, rule following. And, and Kirk just gets frustrated. There's a little, like, there are fun moments with the two of them still, um, yeah. where you kind of get that, like, early Spock and Kirk relationship that I, that I do really like. Um, but then you know it's shit. Essentially, like the plot shits hits the fan when when the dude with the daughter, you know, uh, he blows up. Uh, he blows up a library. That yeah, that we think is a library. Yeah, uh, but he blows up a Star Trek data archive. And yeah, because there yeah, it's like there there can't be anything else going on. There there must no. be some secrets. Yeah. Uh, so we get a big meeting with all like the major captains in the in the area, of course. <laughs> like again. Like you are all the major captains in this quadrant, you know, no other quadrants exist. Um, and they're kind of discussing like, hey, listen, this dude, John Harrison, he's one of our own. He's a Starfleet guy. Um, you know, the the guy who blew it up sent me a message. It's like, hey, this guy's making me do this. Like he's 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 manhunt here. We're going on a manhunt. And of course, like I like that Kirk has a, a Jack Ryan-esque moment where he starts like analyzing and looking at things a little bit closer and realizing, which I mean, it's something that those two characters share that they are, are, are kind of always looking for like kind of a, a different way of viewing things. But it really did remind me of watching Shadow Recruit and seeing like Pine like be that kind of like, well, he has this bag here and like, why would he blow up a data archive? And like, you know, why would he take a ship without warp capability? Like there's a, that stuff where it's just like, I like that they still showcase like, why Kirk is Kirk and why he's ultimately like the best starship captain, even oh, if yeah. like, Pike mm-hmm. doesn't believe so. Yep. Um, but right as he's kind of saying like, Hey, like, you know, in this protocol, we're all here anyway, so we should get out of here. Who shows up, but John Harrison in a, in the ship and starts attacking. Don't, don't, don't call him John Harrison. Stop. I'm going to put an end to this right now. Do not call him John Harrison. Like we, we can't do this. If you're going to call him John Harrison. Okay. Comes Benedict Cumberbatch because we don't, <laughs> we, don't he, we don't know he's con yet. We right, know. right, right. But like, he, look, Benedict Cumberbatch, Smog, Doctor Strange, he's there and he shoots everybody. 
and he kills people. He kills Pike. He kills all the other captains. Marcus makes his way out of there. You know, Kirk kind of like does some cute Kirk stuff where he like makeshifts like a like a weight for the ship. Hey, uh, John Harrison, Cumberbatch. I keep calling him John Harrison. I'm sorry. Don't uh, do it. Cumberbatch, I hate you. you know, I hate you so much. You know, warp some, you know, teleport somewhere else. The ship's crashes and, uh, you know, Pike is now dead. You know, Kirk is upset. Uh, Spock mind melds with him as he's dying. Stuff happens. Shit hits the fan. Yeah, and you know, and I have to say, like, they do a really good job of adding some nuance and... Because I always remembered that, like, they they really backtracked that relationship between um, Kirk and... Um, and Pike. And Pike, yeah. But then when I watched it again, I'm like, no, there's some, like, there's some good stuff in well, this. Well, because it really and, is, like, 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 it's essentially like Pike wasn't involved in the meeting that demoted Kirk, and he knows he would have defended him. And then basically the scene before this, which was a nice scene, too, where, where, where Kirk's at the bar... And he's about to pick up a lady, and then Pike shows up, which is that was funny. funny. That was, the way that was staged made me laugh a lot. Yeah, right. And then to talk about the when they, hey they met in a bar in the first film. And it really what I liked about it in terms of it relating it to Kirk's reaction to Pike's death is it really reestablished that Pike is essentially his father figure character now mm-hmm. that he's someone who's protecting him because the whole thing was that Kirk was supposed to be demoted to Academy, but Pike convinced Admiral Marcus that like hey. I'm going to take back the Enterprise. I want Kirk as my first officer. I know he has good in him. He just needs a little bit of fine-tuning. So I, I, I right. did like that. It defines that relationship so that that's why Pike's death hits Kirk so hard. Yeah, I mean, and it's, a, you know, it's a little annoying to me because it is all it, – it, they. it's a really good scene, but it is a lot of it is in service because they are about to kill him off. Yeah. So and, that, and, that's and a little is, annoying, but – And it is, like, it's good, but it's also still a lot of similarities to – the scene in the first movie where they yeah. kind of do mm-hmm. the same thing. It, 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 the fact that they bring up like the, the, the fight with cupcake dude and like, Hey, yeah. Like, you know, yeah, it was a good fight. Like that's the problem. You know, is it still like kind of feels like it should be a little bit beyond that, uh, but it's still a good scene. And, 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 and Bruce Greenwood's still good as Pike. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, but again, it's just like, again, we're just killing off the character just for motivation, which I mean, is not as bad as in the last movie, but still, it's still, it's no, still kind of no, like- no, no. Well, and then also like, I mean, I, I they've done their work. To like yeah. make you feel that, so well, it's yeah, like because at least they gave him a whole movie and a whole relationship to like you know it still justifies it. As it work it works story wise. It, it's just a personal pet peeve of mine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but essentially from here we get the like Kirk, uh, and Spock find out from Scotty that uh, that uh, he Harrison Con Con Harrison, uh, he he transported the Chronos. Con Harrison. I'll accept that one. I, in the years of this movie coming out, I've never heard that. I've never heard Con Harrison. That's uh, good. That's yeah. really funny. Yeah. So yeah, Con Harrison. You should be ha- You should be really proud of that one. That one's good. Uh, Con thank Harrison. You. Thank yeah. you. You know, I, I am, uh, you know, I am a, a podcaster by heart, <laughs> and that's that's really a podcast thing to say. Um, he he's transported the Chronos. He transported himself to Chronos, the Klingon homeworld, which of course is at this point in Star Trek history still a very volatile relationship between Starfleet and earth and, and, uh, and the Klingons and Kirk and uh, it goes up to Admiral Marcus. It basically says like, I want to go after Khan or yeah, I want to go after this guy. 
he killed my 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 father figure character. I I I want this mission. And essentially like, hey, like we can't start the war, but we got to get this guy. He's in an uninhabited part of Kronos. He's at he's not like a desert part of the planet. We're going to outfit you with these special torpedoes. You're going to stay on the edge of Klingon space. You're going to you're going to shoot that area and you're going to get the hell out of there. You're done. You know, and then so they get the Enterprise back and they're off to uh, enact their plan with a lot of complications along the way. Mm-hmm. Because uh, uh, Spock doesn't think that uh, it's right to let's kill this guy off, that he deserves a right to a fair trial. And he thinks he knows that Kirk knows this, but Kirk is still kind of like hyper focused on like getting revenge. A mysterious you woman. Know what? Wait, hold on. Before that, I did think about this because I mean, it, it is a good it is like a fine enough moral quandary. And I almost wonder and I'm not. I, I, Trekkies out there, I apologize. I'm ignorant of the of the inner workings of Star Trek, so I, I could be completely talking out of my ass, and I would happily be wrong. But I almost wonder if this would have been better if maybe I, I feel just like the whole maybe this plot point should have been more of a bigger story. Like, is Starfleet going to be explorers, or are they going to be a military operation? I, I think that would have been like a fine story point because they're kind of saying like. Like, Spock makes the point, I'm like, hey, we're going to go into en- enemy territory. We're not only going to assassinate a guy, which is kind of like, a, is is a little icky, but it's also like we're going to go do it by shooting missiles at, like, the one of the home world. It's a home world of, like, yeah. the, yeah. It's, uh, we're going to go do it by going into the home world of a, of a species that we're on the brink of war with. Like, it just seems like that's a little bit more than just like, I'm not sure about this, Captain. <laughs> like, that's like, well, no, you're about I mean, to say, like, you could start a war. What are you doing? Well, that's like, but the thing is, though, like, that is a type of story that, like, maybe not directly, like, we see the oranges of it, but we we, we see that story with stuff like the mirror verse, you know, like, because that's like the whole difference between. No, but I'm not no, saying no, but, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah but, go ahead. But go what ahead. I'm saying is like, and we see it like where like you can tell that story of like there are worlds and realities where Star Trek has been or where Starfleet has been on that path. Like, that's the story you can kind of tell where it's like we're at a point where like, you know, the timeline is still volatile. Right. And things are changing. And, and I think you're correcting that you can kind of tell that story, yeah. especially because in like, you know, we do have some inclinations of like early Starfleet being that way and then kind of going towards the more idealistic exploration side of it. And you also get that a little bit more in the next, the next generation. So I think there's ways to explore it. Again, I just think that it's kind of like a have a cake and eat it too, but also not really having the cake part of it. Here's what my problem with it is. It's like the way in which it's discussed is like, doesn't feel severe enough for the details I have because it's not like, it's not like, Hey, I know it was in his office, but it wasn't like, listen, I, I, maybe I missed a plot point and correct me, but it's like, listen, nobody else can know about this. This is off the books. Like, I know this is against everything we do, but we both know this is the right thing. You know what I mean? It, it, it's kind of presented as like, I mean, even Kirk is like telling his whole crew, like, the official mission is that we're going to go kill this guy. So it's like, it kind of just, it's all on the books. And it's just like, well, wait a minute. This could trigger a war. <laughs> Yeah. Like it just seems like as soon as that order is gonna make it to like the like the the fucking uh, as soon as it's documented, I'm sure other people are gonna be like, uh, I think this is against the law. Yeah, 
but I, I don't know. Like well, maybe but, I'm no, being but nitpicky. it has to be secret too because like when they go on the planet, it has to be like listen, like nobody can know we're Starfleet just in case we get caught. So like yeah, gotta- but but again, but that was not what they he said. That was kind of the thing. He didn't send him there to do that. Like yeah. RoboCop thought he was just. By the way, I did I did like uh, I did like him in this movie. I, I yeah. thought he was fun. But like he sent them there thinking like you're just gonna go there, you're gonna shoot some missiles, and the implication also being like, and you're also gonna get stranded there. So it was just kind of like that was like the whole it was all going to be kind of like they were a patsy for like this like yeah. war that he wanted to start. Yeah. But like. I mean, I guess maybe like the idea was like at the end of the day, like it, it was he was going I guess like the implication later on in the movie was like he was always going to blame it on like like uh, they went rogue. The Enterprise went rogue and got to get revenge and they started a war. So maybe that is. Yeah, right. Implied. I think, I think yeah. it's like what like what they've what they've been told and what like he's telling other people. Right. That they probably think that the implication is that there is a secrecy to this mission because especially because right, right, they're going to okay. be on the edge. Or the at least like he is at least he is like lying about like he, he he's giving them the mission under the impression that it's like. This is an officially sanctioned mission, even if it's ethically questionable. But then I guess the implication being like, no, like the official word is going to be like, you guys went crazy and yeah. nobody's going to know about this. Right. Because he, cause I, he I think that could have been I think that could have been told a little bit more explicitly. But yes, I agree. What, I agree. what do I know? Well, yeah, because the other things that happen, right, is that a mysterious woman named Carol Wallace shows up. Oh, and he's yeah. like, I have been assigned to your ship and Spock's like that's not right because I'm also the science officer there can't be two science officers I love jealous Spock I, I it really is fun and, and Quinto plays it really well yeah that's uh, the kind of stuff like I think like I Nimoy could do it because Nimoy's the man but yeah. it, that's the kind of benefit you get from things like this is a younger Spock so it's kind of fun that you could see like this more childlike uh aspect to him I like it uh we'll yeah, so that's Carol Wallace. Yeah, at that point as well. Carol, Carol Wallace is Carol Marcus. She's RoboCop's daughter. Stop with the secrets and the surprises. Just also, stop. Like honestly, almost. This is almost like I, I don't want to say egregious is a little too strong of a word, but like that's not Carol Marcus. There's no, there's no character to Alice Eve in this movie. She's just there. She like, does a thing that drives me crazy in this movie. And I'm sorry, Alice Eve, but I'm about to roast you. But <laughs> she does this thing where she doesn't know what to do when she doesn't have lines to deliver. So there's this thing where she's like the second science officer or whatever. And then they go to the torpedo and then they're all talking around the torpedoes. And, you know, Simon Pegg's eating up the screen. Like, you know, he's just eating it up. And then behind her, behind him, you just see, go back and watch the scene. She's just doing this like very bad science-y like business. Like she's just like, oh, Oh, and then, oh, then the, uh, oh, and there's a button here. Like, it, it drives me insane because <laughs> it's so, it's like, it, it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, go back and watch the scene. I, it dro- it drives me crazy every time. Yeah, but like, it, yeah. It, it, that's like a thing where it's just like, there's nothing that really that connects her to the Carol Marcus from Wrath of Khan. It, it, it just like there's really not much character to her at all in this movie. It really feels like even more so than Khan. 
her thing is just like, hey, like she's an important person in Kirk's life and she's here now and she's part of the crew. Right, like, right. It, it feels a lot more like Which they- again, they could have played with. They could have they could have played with like I mean, I don't mind that all the characters are coming together again. It just it feels in the way that you're describing it. It feels in the way that like these are all important things because remember Wrath of Khan and we want to bring all those elements back, but just kind of like because it's fun where everything just kind of felt way more purposeful and meaningful in the first movie well, to do all that. Such, that's the thing. They did such a good job in that first movie of like, even if these characters are slightly different, like that is Kirk as a character. Those are the same things we saw Shatner do as Kirk, just different. Those are the same things we saw Quinto do as, as, as Spock, but different. That's the same thing that we saw Duhan do as Scotty, but different. Like they're they're they did such a good job of actually like showcasing like that's why I love the original series characters not just because of that cast is the original cast is great this cast is great too but those characters are what defined that era of Trek and that's why it's my favorite era of Trek whereas the ones in this movie Khan and Carol Marcus they don't feel like those characters no they, no they, they don't feel like maybe they have like well even like Mark like Carol Marcus like there's no specific details of like her at all from Khan that like you can match not even like her theories on like yeah like you could have thrown in something like that where it's like she's, yeah and that that's own. what's like that's what's or, kind of interesting because like Carol Marcus really like I, I would be hard-pressed to say that I know her character as much as the other characters but what I do remember was that she was like a forward-thinking woman of science who like wanted to change the world like you know th- well, that that's kind of I, what and, I remember and I think like you could have done a lot more it's like hey like you know the weapons and missiles aren't her thing she has a lot more to do with like you know like the good side of science but like you know she's been suspicious of her father but like, I think you could have played a lot more if you were going to try to make this Carol Marcus with like who her actual character is like what she actually wants she wants she wants peace. She, she, her whole thing in Wrath of Khan is like she's creating the Genesis device and making this Genesis planet and the Genesis cave to like solve world you know, galactic hunger and like population stuff. And like if you had played more like, hey, my father has this sort of like weird edge to him. I want to create peace and I'm here snuck on the ship because I have suspicions of what my father's stuff. And they do a little bit of that, but there's not much actually. No, no, not really, though. They don't they, really like because even like her 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 plea to the her father was like, "Don't blow up this ship because it's like not the right thing to do." Like well, you're right. I thought she was going to be like, "Listen, don't start a war. That's not who we are." Like it's like yeah, you and, know, and, it, yeah. There's a little bit more that, because all they do is really give it lip service. Like, hey, my father lets me in on all his projects, but this one he didn't, so I'm suspicious. No, like do a thing where it's like, I have all these great theories about like exploration and peace and like and like what we could really make of this universe and and something's going on with my dad that's like not sitting me right and it just doesn't really define her character at all she's just there to be a name she's just there to be carol marcus right because she's a she's essentially just like just science like yeah. that's just her thing like right. it's just oh just generic because you never even get like what's her specialty because like yeah, they, they blow by it briefly when he's like, look, checking the law. It's just, it, there's not much to the character. That's like, really you know, you know, no, you know, torpedoes, right? Yeah. You're like the torpedo lady. Yeah. Um, I do by the way, I laughed. I laughed every single time. My, one of my favorite lines in the entire movie is, why is there a man in that torpedo? Like, that's my, <laughs> that's my favorite line. I think of 
in the top 10 lines of all Star Trek. Like, I, I, I think it's hilarious. And every time somebody talks about people being in torpedo, it's just such a goofy conceit. Yeah. And then, like, he's like, why is there a man in that torpedo? There are men and women in all of those torpedoes. <laughs> Uh, I, love and, it. I mean, the, the last part of this, like, prelude to them actually going off is that Scotty is very suspicious of these torpedoes. Right. Which I do like this scene where he, like, again, very Simon Pegg Scotty, where he's just like, every time I want to look in one of these, they tell me it's classified. It's classified. And I don't like that. Um, essentially, it leads to, like, you know, Scotty's basically like, listen, I don't know what's in these torpedoes. I don't know how they're going to affect the warp core. Don't. Oh, yeah. By the way, there's a warp core. There's a, the, 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 this, this warp core, which is like, it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's like, sir, it's like the warp core in the third act. It could blow up. <laughs> it just, I, I don't know. The way in which the warp core was presented just kind of seemed like a thing put in there that you know is going to cause problems later. Yeah. Like but, it just kind of felt like a plot device. Yeah. And essentially what happens is, you know, Scotty begs kirk to be like don't use them don't do anything with them they have to be on the ship because i you know i can't approve them and then eventually like scotty kirk kicks scotty off the ship and promotes check off to being the uh the uh engineer yeah yeah and I, and again i even i even like that i i think that they played I'm just going to make a blanket statement that all of the crew and their dynamics with each other are just top notch i like yeah, i still, still think it's still one of the best parts of this movie. Yeah, it, it's some of the best written stuff. It's the best acted stuff. So, like, even that moment where it's like, you know, where Scotty is relieved of duty, like, you know, you can tell it's like two friends who don't want to have this conversation. Like, it's like, and n- neither person's happy with it, and you feel it. And I feel like that they don't drag their feet to, like, bring them back together again, like, which is another thing I like about it. So, all that works. Uh, and then they, they're they off to uh, their mission on uh, uh, the uh, edge of uh, Klingon space. Uh, but we run into that complication where... Oh, right- wait, hold on. That does remind me of another thing. I think this was a bit much. So Scotty's off. So they 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 uh, reassign Chekhov to yes. engineering. And it's kind of funny, but I don't know. Like... So he's like, all right, it's like, you're, you're my new engineer. You're, you're my new engineer. Put on a red shirt. And then there's just like this pause. And then like, basically Anton gets like, maybe like just so close to looking in the camera and being like, oi, <laughs> which I think maybe it's because they like, they, they, they stay on it. it, it it's like, they lean on it a little too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, that's where I'm like, that may be too cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, they go to the warp core. The warp core or the warp gets disabled like as they get close to Kronos. And that, that complicates their plans because they can't stop on the edge of space. So they kind of have to go on the planet to like mm-hmm. figure this out and, and that sort of thing. This was one of the where I was where I like the um the the subtle Star Trek reference where um they're talking about like the the ship that's gonna go on the planet to disguise as like a non-federation ship. And, and, you know, that's when uh, Kirk puts Sulu in the chair and he's kind of like, oh, I like the chair. I like that, like that little detail. But then Sulu's checking with the engineering and the, and the ship team. And it's like, we, we need that. We need that like trader ship we confiscated in the mud incident, which is, of course, a reference to the, the frequent right. Star Trek uh, character, Harry Mudd, which is a character I wish, you know, 
I could have wanted, I would want to see like, that would have been a fun cold open to do in one of these movies is a Harry Mudd incident. Cause he's a character that constantly reappears. Eventually gets played by Rain Wilson. I was going to say, doesn't series. Rain Wilson play him eventually? Yeah. In, yeah. in the, in the news, in the newest series. So yeah. like, yeah, so that's the whole thing, but I like that. Um, again, that's where we get cupcake guy comes back. Uh, to be part of the the team, which I kind of like that he's still on the Enterprise. And just, I did, yeah. I, I there was a few times I'm like, is that him? Is that? I don't know. I guess it yeah. was. It was Cupcake Guy. Uh, and so it's basically like Kirk, Spock, and her are going down because you know Spock is like, oh, I'm I'm gonna go with my captain. Kirk's gonna be like, well, I'm going because I'm I'm putting you know I'm gonna put myself on the line here. And then and then Uhura's is going down because she can speak Klingon. And so if anything goes wrong, that you know she can speak her her Klingon. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where we get the scene in the dropship. Uh, in the ship where, you know, we get the little argument between Uhura and Spock. Um, and and like, Kirk's is dragged into it and basically like, hey, like you didn't feel anything. You didn't care when, when you were dying on the volcano. And then Spock's like, I, hey, like, listen, I, I this also kind of made me think about back to it where it's like because he's like, I, I felt like rage and pain and anger and sadness like the day that my planet got blown up. and. I never want to feel that again. And, you know, I, I felt it when, uh, you know, I, I felt it when I mind melded with, with Captain Pike when he was dying and don't mis don't mistake my, uh, you know, don't mistake my lack of caring for not caring, you know, that sort of thing, or my lack of emotion for not caring. That's exactly the opposite. My one thing was, was like, he, he was like, I felt that like on the day my planet was destroyed, he didn't mention his mom once. So it makes it even less, necessary that they killed his mom in the last movie like i just feel like like if you're gonna do that like say like my when my mom died like don't he just says the planet blows up it's that point we made in the last movie where it's like that was enough for old spock that would have been enough for for new spock like i i don't know that was just something i noticed but there's still some fine dynamics in that scene especially with kirk trying not to get dragged into into the conversation Mm -hmm. yeah it's fun i like it. it and it and it sold me on the the relationship and everything even more i dug it it was good yeah uh, but then they they get they kind of crash land. They get they get the attention of the Klingons again. This might be a trap or whatever. Or Hura's like, I'm gonna go out and talk to them. We get this kind of like these this Klingon look that I. It's just like it's whatever. It's not my favorite. I didn't mind it. I I, I like maybe I'm just not attached to the Kling. And this yeah, I, I don't know. I was like I don't know. It's just I thought like, it was cool. Was like, like the helmets? Was the the helmets were cool? They're yeah. like little like predator. Like, they kind of look like like predator people like with the yeah. helmets on yeah no i i, I kind of dug all the klingon stuff yeah the the, yeah. the brief amount we get but eventually con harrison comes up and uh you know he he, he i think they i think they did miss a, an opportunity because at the end of the day they just i mean i don't know i guess it makes sense the, the problem is like i i i dug it but again kind of what we have already said like all this stuff with the war and the klingons like isn't as impactful because it's not doesn't seem enough of a focus and it doesn't movie. seem like an actual threat like right yeah like and like because there's not even a thing where it's like oh the klingons are like coming like that would have been a thing where it's like a complication would have been oh now there's klingon warbirds on our tail too and like we gotta like you know maneuver all these different things and like we are gonna start a war but like no it's just these klingons are there they all get kind of dispatched by you know rambo harrison over here shooting everything yeah because you think by the end of this movie like like what happened to that relationship? Right. Like earlier on in the movie, you were telling me like this guy was about to start a war with this guy. And then I'm, I get we avoided it, but it's just kind of like a non-factor as the movie goes on. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes that earlier stuff less impactful. Yes, I agree. 
so yeah, eventually, um, but Cumberbatch is basically like surrenders himself when he finds out that there's exactly like what 72, 73 torpedoes on the uh, on the yeah. Enterprise, which which joins Con Harrison in the legion of villains at this time that purposely got themselves caught. Yeah, which was like when you really reflect back on it was like we there were too many movies in a row that did that because it happens in Skyfall. It happens in Avengers. It happens in Dark Knight. A lot of villains like to purposely kind of get themselves a little little captured. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll push back a little bit because it's a bit of a different trope because he really did it because like they were about to shoot him with m- torpedoes that had like his entire family in it. So it was more right. of like a it wasn't like part of his plan to get caught. It was like more of like like a ta- like a tactical move so they don't blow up like his family. Yeah, so it's a little different, I think. A little bit, but also like again, did he? he did was his intellect? Because I guess also the implication is that he knows that tor- those torpedoes would have been on that ship. No, I don't think he did. I, I think I, he, I don't know. That's how I read. No, it, because but. like no, because he comes back and then he's like, those torpedoes that you just threatened me with. How many are there? Because because yeah. like, remember Sulu does the whole thing. So I don't think he knew that. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Like, like, cause yeah, I don't know. Because remember, like he put the, he put them in the torpedoes to like smuggle them away, but then he got caught and then he, and then he left. Yeah, no, I think he was, he was on the, he was on the run and he didn't know that was going to happen. But to be fair, like it does, it is funny because you could tell like there was a period where it was like the writer's shortcut because it's like, we have to get, the villain and the heroes in rooms with each other, but they're a villain and a hero. So we're going to put them behind a glass box. Right. <laughs> like, but we still, there are so many movies like that. Yeah. We're gonna, we're, it's like going to be in the middle of the movie. So they have to be on the run again soon. So we're going to have to like get them out of there somehow. Yeah. I even get annoyed now. And I see that like there's, <laughs> I was going to say there's a, there's a movie that will be unnamed where they do that again. That, and I'm like, oh god! <laughs> I could like, guess. Yeah, it's just, it's just like a lot of like it. it I, I don't know. Like, it, it, this is me being nitpicky, but it is funny. Like, because you can tell, like, it is like that kind of like writer's thing of like, well, how do we get these guys to talk to each other? But it's got to make sense. I'm like, okay, well, it's going to be kind of like they're imprisoned, and that's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, Khan's on the ship, and they're not going to kill him, and. Yeah, there's just like there's like this whole thing where we get the discussions with everybody. You know, Kirk is like yelling at him like you you're going to pay for your crimes. And it's like, listen, man, here's these coordinates. Go check those out. You think those torpedoes? You better look inside them. And Kirk, you know, Kirk's mind starts being like, hmm, mm-hmm. something something's a thumbs up. I love I, I like that Kirk is smart in, in these movies. No, I, I think it, I like, I, I, yeah, I, but that's one of the things I like about Kirk. And I also like that it's not like. Uh, what I do like, and uh, one of the things I did, a choice that I did like that they made, is that they never make it where Kirk is like, oh, this guy's actually an ally. They always make it where Kirk's like, no, this dude's bad. He killed yeah. people. He will try to kill us eventually, but he might be on to something here. So I, I'm going to like take that, take as much of his word for it as I can. Because even yeah. when they let him out later, he's like, listen, like, I know I shouldn't be letting you out. And I know like we're going to you're, you're going to pay for your crimes. But I, I do need your help here. And like, you know, we will make sure your, your crew is safe. like, I do like that. They, they just make Kirk like 
not gullible and to be like, oh, right, yeah, I, know, well, Khan's, it, a, Khan's a good guy now. It, it's all it's all uh, like, um, you know, it, they kind of repeat that beat again later on in the movie where Scott Scotty's like, I thought this guy was helping us. I'm like, you know, I'm pretty sure we're helping him. Like, it's yeah. like he he knew. He he knew, uh, but oh, when, so they're they're gonna go, uh, uh, you know, um, the missile, the torpedo. Yeah, he sends Carol, Marcus, and Bones down to a planet to like uh, open this this torpedo up. Right, because they they're like we can't to do it on the ship would be essentially suicide because right. if anything goes wrong, like the whole ship is gonna blow up. So we need a place where like we can like do it safely. There there there's a really funny Bones moment where you know he's like. And he's like, he's like, you know, if I wanted to be on like a backwater planet with a gorgeous woman, I kind of, I kind of imagined it not involving torpedoes. But my fun, the funny part was, he's like, you're not down there to flirt bones. And then like he cuts off the coffee. He's like, so what can these legendary hands do for you, Doctor Marcus? He's like, listen, I, I, I once gave a C-section to a gore, and it was octopus, and those bastards bite. Those are the I, type of details I love. Yeah, I know that was great, but I just love. Carl Urban like I never thought of Bones as like it just now I want to see ladies man Bones like I want to see him going to a bar and like you know like he's like that he southern, he's that he's southern, weirdo he's a southern charmer with like a lot talking of about his war stories yeah, and, with, and a lot of metaphors too because that's the Kirk Hall that was funny like, that stop, was... With, stop with the metaphors you just sent a man to a high stakes poker game and you told him the fib or whatever. Yeah, with bluff with with nothing but high cards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did that twice in a row. That was funny. God, Carl Urban is great. He's yeah. so funny. And he's I so can't funny. wait for him in even the next movie. Oh, he's, he's like cause he gets a lot to do. He's even that. better in the next one. Yeah. <laughs> he should not be, but he is. Oh my god. Um Yeah, so they're well, they they discover essentially that um there's people in the torpedoes. Yeah. There be uh, men in those, those torpedoes. Yeah. After a little, like, you know, she just like, she's like, I'm going to do the thing. Oh, never mind. I'm just going to pull it out. And that's going to stop it. Right. The whole thing. Right. So um, yeah, they, they find out men are the tor- in the torpedoes. Meanwhile, Scotty is like back and he looks up those coordinates and then well, there's something it, there. It, well, Kirk as uh, calls, Kirk calls him on earth while he's at a bar. Yeah. Being, being Scotty with, with the, with his little buddy over there being like, mm-hmm. listen, listen, man, like, it's just like I did all that work for them, and what's the thanks to get kicked off the ship? And then eventually, like these, like remember the coordinates? You know, again, fun little Scotty moments. Like I can remember four numbers. What was that third one again? Yeah, yeah. No, Simon Pegg's great. And like, then eventually, he, like he, and then immediately, like I'm not gonna help him. Ah, oh, never mind. Ah, let's do it. Like let's go help them. And then yeah, they yep. discover something on the on the in, the in the moons of Jupiter. What could it be? It's another ship. Um, and this is again like cons. Just this is where we get the whole big like con reveal which the way it is shot is really ridiculous because it's just supposed to be like the big reveal of this thing we were hiding for the whole movie my name is con and we just cut back to kirk who's like doesn't give a shit because like that main name means nothing to him yeah it, it just i get it but i I, it, I think it just ultimately doesn't work i i actually now attribute more good faith to it than i think people do but it, it just yeah, it just doesn't work as intended. I think. Yeah. Oh, I think uh, it's just again, it's just the, it's just the miscasting, and I and I think it's a miscasting, and and you're right, it's just a mistelling of the story, um, because I think there are you're right, I think there are good things you can do with Khan, and I think they do present some interesting ideas, even in base, whether you do it with Khan or where you do it with another similar character, 
But it's just like, again, when you're doing it with Khan, there's just a specific things, specific boxes you need to hit and they don't hit them. And that's really where you, a lot can of- Can you think of, because this was also like a thing that like a lot of movies, like, you know, we often think of like the John Blake Robin thing too. And like the Talial Ghoul, like, can you think of a time when one of these movies did something like this and it has worked for you personally? Box of scraps guy. <laughs> that answer, I, I don't know if that counts, but it's hilarious enough that I'll accept it. Yeah. No, no, otherwise, like, not. Or, like, yeah, I'm trying to think of more so, like, the thing of, like, they're revealing that it is, like, a known character. Because, like, the thing is, like, when he says he's Khan, not even us as fans are like, oh, shit, really? It's Khan? <laughs> now it's all falling into place. <laughs> like, yeah, because it's a, you're right. Like, The Dark Knight Rises does that twice. And neither. Yeah, that's it, what makes that one crazy. It, it did it two times in a row. <laughs> well, I think I, I always thought that, like, again, like, I know they didn't plan those movies because it's Christopher Nolan. Like, he wasn't going to plan a trilogy. But that would have been infinitely better if you had. What was her name? Like, what was her not? Miranda Tate. If you had Miranda Tate in, like, the second movie and yes. then you did that you and i have always said this would have worked would have would have worked really well but and, and the it's like you should use what was uh dark oh, you should you, you should use your you should choose your uh your legal name or something like your robin. real name robin oh oh shut up like, and we're, and we're <laughs> not and we're never gonna follow up on that but i'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think because like like i was thinking like maybe like but that doesn't even count. I was even going to say like Spider-Man Homecoming when you find out who the Vulture is. Yeah. Like this is a good twist, but it's not like revealing that it's a character that you know. Mm -hmm. Like I got to think about that one because that was like a trope that we all made fun of for a while. And it was like very short lived, but it was not. It never worked. No, it 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 doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, you, you can continue. Oh, it. it uh, yeah, I mean. We we just kind of get the suspicions and the ship shows up and you know Peter Weller is gonna kill everybody and they're like trying to negotiate things and it's just like you know it's just like you wouldn't shoot a ship with your daughter on it no I wouldn't I'm gonna yeah. just transport her out of there yeah he basically has made a ship that can do everything yeah he's just basically like it's the ultimate ship it though can- it, it did lead to and th- this is actually like I've always li- this was a badass moment when they go to warp and then they're like you know you're not safe at warp right and then just like the the image and the sound design of the of the mega enterprise like catching up to the the enterprise and then shooting it out of like out of warp out of that warp tube that was dope like i thought like that's really cool mm-hmm. yeah so i've always I, liked that agreed um yeah so that that whole thing and again it's like kind of the implication of like hey khan's a bad guy but he's also not wrong that this guy is kind of going crazy over this war and like what was all a setup to like you know, get the war that he wants to get it out of the way and like to, to make sure Starfleet's, you know, good to go. Um, also, the, the good thing is that uh, I like that Simon Pegg stuck on the ship and like and shut it down right as they were going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, just yeah. a little nice little detail with Scotty and this is the, the, the discussions with them. Uh, we get the other kind of uh, though. I know like the other action sequence that people talk about a lot in this movie is sort of the 
the space jump with Khan and and Kirk as they're kind of jumping through space to get yeah. to, to get to the other ship. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's whatever. It works out. Yep. And they get on. They get on the new. That it's called the Vengeance, I think. Right. The other ship. I think so. I like it though. I think. I think it's like. I know it's like kind of lame, but I like that it's like a a big mean evil yeah, with a big mean enterprise evil, with a big evil name like Vengeance. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I like it. Well, it kind of again, like if you had a, if you had the movie that you were kind of talking about, where it was like really like the two sides of Starfleet, like the the because that is a more warship name, the Vengeance, right? right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to the Enterprise, which is more this this humble you know name of of like an exploratory ship. So I think you could have played that, but again, it's just like the the second half of the movie is all over the place in terms of like what kind of story and what what angles and what reveals it's playing that you never really get a big sense of it, like honing down on one element of that. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean that, that it becomes just like a vague stop the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at, so Khan and, and Kirk, uh, you know, dive to the other ship. There's a lot of debris and, and Khan eventually saves Kirk to get there, to get into the four mil- the, the, the short, the small door that Scotty's there. And I like that again. Kirk's just like I've done it before. It, it was a vertical door at that time, but you know what? Never mind. Like I, we'll, we'll get it done. Mm-hmm. They get on the ship. They're they're trying to like you know sneak around. Meanwhile, Kirk, uh, Spock calls old Spock. We get our little little Nimoy cameo here as mm-hmm. well. Which fun fact about this? Uh, one of the demands of Nimoy's contract to come back for this movie was that Abrams had to provide coffee flavored ice cream because it was it was favorite it was a favorite flavor of Nimoy. Uh, but Nimoy, Nimoy basically was like, "Listen, normally I wouldn't do this. I'm, I, I want you on your own path. But like, if you're if you're with Khan, dude, like he's he's the worst. He's he's the most ruthless villain we've ever ever experienced. And like, don't trust him. You know, you got you got you got to kill him. We got to stop him. Yeah. It's kind of weird though because like then they're like, well, how did you stop him? And he's like, tell me everything or whatever, whatever he says. And then like, I always like wondered like, what could have, what would he have said? Well, that's the thing. It's just like you, you let it, the, the idea is that you let him on with something he wanted. Cause that's what his, but is that was. how they, is that how they beat him? Yeah. In, the, in, 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 in con, like, I, I remember like, yeah, now I, I picked up that line, but I, I, I like this they, time around. The whole idea was that we were leading him on with like, "Hey, the Enterprise is co- is right here. Like, come join us, Khan." Like, and then Kirk's like, "Hey, listen, Khan, you thought you had me? Like, you know, you're gonna have to come after me." So basically, like, you know, he, he his obsessions is what kills him. But also, it is very different. It's two very different. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a stretch because it wasn't like it was like I, I think to say like he wanted his fam his like his crew back is an obsession. I, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. Right. Yeah. Cause like the implication is just like, listen, we, we, we defeated him by like playing to what he wanted and what he wanted was the enterprise and Kirk. And the yeah. I, I, okay. All right. It, it's, it's a bit of a stretch, but I, I I'll buy it. I'll buy yeah. it. Yeah. It's not, the, it's not the smoothest transition yeah. um, between two plans. Uh, but eventually like, yeah. So the whole thing is that, yeah. Khan, of course, you know, betrays, you know, kills, Admiral Marcus takes over the vengeance, you know, warps Kirk, Mark, uh, Carol, and Scotty back onto the prison cell on the uh, Enterprise and is going to destroy the Enterprise. Um, Spock basically 
is like, hey, listen, we'll um, we'll give you your whole crew back. We'll we'll transport all the all the all the things on there. But they they plan it where it's like those things are going to blow up. The missiles are going to blow up. Um, even though, again, we get the same beat twice in this movie. We're like, because um, earlier I, I mentioned it earlier, but at, uh, as they're negotiating, like, Kurt, you know, with um, Admiral Marcus, Kirk's like, hey, listen, it was all me. You know, it, that, his whole arc in this movie is supposed to be like, I'm taking responsibility for my crew. This was me, not my crew. Spare my crew. Take me with you. And then, you know, Marcus is like to, you know, by the way, we weren't going to spare your crew anyway. And then same thing happens here. We're like. Spock gives Khan the torpedoes and Khan's like, and guess what? I was going to kill you anyway. Aha! Oh man, it was me, James, the whole time. But then the torpedoes blow up, but then, you know, the Enterprise still gets attacked. Um, and the, the, again, the warp core, that whole thing gets damaged. And who goes into it this time to repair it? Not Spock, but Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. This is a little. I get what they're doing. I it just like it. It's like it's not again. This is the whole thing where it's like you're just drawing attention to the fact that it's Khan again. Yeah, like, this, this yeah. is the type of thing where it's just like, oh look, it's like it's that writing thing and these sorts of things where it's like you think you're really clever by being like it's the opposite, and it's like yeah, but we've seen this moment and it's, we've seen it much better. And also the one real thing about this, I don't know if I would really like, I could kind of, I do like some of the discussion in this scene. I do like their relationship and how it comes together. And I don't think I would mind this scene as much if they also didn't throw in the con yell at the end by. Oh, Spock. that's, that's the worst part of it. Yeah. That, no, like 100%. The, the rest of the scene is like, it's again, it's sort of like it's kind of like eye rolling where it's like, oh, we're doing it. It's the opposite. I get it. But I think like I like enough of the relationship and these actors where I could like, OK, like I don't really love it, but I'll let it slide. But also throwing in the Kanye, it's just it just makes it too much. It makes it too much of like it's Wrath of Khan, but not and like that's, yeah, that's how yeah. it, and that's what if that's what it really feels like. It really feels like that's the stuff in this that makes it feel like, oh, we're doing Khan because it's the second Star Trek movie and we, we need Khan in a second Star Trek movie. Where, like, I feel like, again, if you just if you just had another villain, all this would be more organic, you know? Or, like, you'd, do, you'd, you'd allow yourself to be more organic with what well, you're... Well, yeah, it, it, there's a, and there's a part of me that still thinks, like, this was ill-advised to do anyway. But I still always feel like if the movie was at least focused on, like everybody's still kind of in this period of facing their destiny and they're doing this. It's a thing that I actually gave a pass to with the force awakens. Cause I understand that the force awakens is like, you know, it, it is kind of like an echo of a new hope and everything like that. And did I, do I think ultimately that was like the most advised way to go? Probably not. But at the same time, I do think that what JJ did was ultimately tell a story about Okay, well, yes, it's an echo, but it's about these new characters kind of like living through that legacy and where is their place in that legacy and like living through this history repeating itself type of deal. So at least there was kind of a purpose to it here. It, ju it really just feels like they're trying to do a clever callback. Right. And, 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 it, it, and that moment is too. that movie is way too huge and way too iconic to 
well, for guess, it not to be a more massive, meaningful thing if you are going to do well, it. Well, I mean, I, and I, I know we're talking about Abrams movies, but in, in many ways, like what makes The Force Awakens worth is, yes, it's an echo, but there's still enough differences of the characters and relationships and how things work and where Han, is, you know, and all those characters are and who Ray and, and Finn and Poe are that it makes it still feel kind of fresh. And there was still a lot with like, you know, Kylo Ren and Ben Solo. Whereas the con thing feels, again, not the exact same, but the con stuff feels a lot more similar to what ended up happening with Palpatine in The Rise of Skywalker, where it's like, <laughs> well, but, but, but it's true. And a lot of the same <laughs> are made between these two movies where it's like, it feels like you're more so like, we're not bringing back the character for the purpose of telling a story within the movie. We're bringing back this character for the audience's sake it's like, and, yeah like it's a cute shortcut like it's a cute yes. familiar shortcut and 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 listen the scene with him dying and bonding with spock is well acted and it's yeah. really good yeah. but like you still can't you, you just never really can let go of the aware knowledge that like they're just doing it but reverse yeah like no, yeah it's the it, same it feels yeah. cheap yeah, it, no, I agree 100%. And I, I think that's the thing that really bogs down the storytelling in this movie is the fact that they, for whatever reason, feel like they have to have those sequences because it's because it's a con movie. You don't need to have those. you got to remember, too, guys, Khan wasn't an original villain for that movie. You had a whole episode of the show that you could like also base stuff around. You don't have to tell. Listen, if you want to use Khan and you want to use that story and the backstory of him being frozen in space and the genetic engineering, which they also don't really get into the genetic wars of 1999, which is one of my favorite Star Trek beats of lore, but that's beside the point. If you want to do all that, fine. But don't feel like you need to be beholden to that movie. Tell a story with Khan. Because we can tell other stories with Khan. You don't have to do Wrath of Khan. You don't have to do Space Seed. You know? No, like, I, I completely I mean, it's, agree. It's yeah. the same thing with, with, like, you know, again, Palpatine and Rise of Skywalker. Like, you know, there's ways you could have integrated Palpatine into the fuller story without having to be like, oh, it's like Palpatine and Re Return of the Jedi. Like, you remember, you know, that sort of thing. It's a, it's just It just feels like, they trap themselves into not allowing the story to be organic. And that's where the major flaws of this movie happen is that the things that happen in the story at certain points don't feel organic to the story and the world. They feel organic more to the fictional meta reality that we live in as film fans. Somehow Khan returned. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, so then yeah, the con thing is bad. When he screams con, it, it's just it's too much. It's yeah. way too much. And, and it's just it's just a little bit like, ugh, like I didn't That's like that. when you're like you're you're tiptoeing on like a frozen lake and then you just you just ate shit and plummeted right through. Mm -hmm. And it's like and it, you know, and no and no shade at Zachary Quinto, like, you know, he's doing his thing, but that that was an instinct that should have been yeah. resisted. And it it yeah. also doesn't help too that this kind of chase sequence to end the movie isn't really that exciting or like I'm not really invested in it. It doesn't really feel trekky in many ways. Well, you know what it is? It just feels like they kind of had finished the movie and now they need kind of like a big third act thing to undo <laughs> what they just did. Yeah. 
because it's like, well, we have to get Khan back because we have to revive. We t- we did all the stuff we wanted to do, but we can't have Kirk die. So he needs right, we, to get we, Khan's yeah, blood. We can't do the we can't do the search for Kirk in the next movie. Like we can't. No, we can't do it because like you know because because uh, um because Bones revived a Tribble and <laughs> we <Yes>. gotta. <laughs> Well, and and it's also like this whole thing. Which, by the way, that's so silly. I always like, no, this is dumb. Like where he's like, what are you doing with that triple? Which, of course, it's like, okay, fine. It's a triple. We finally got a triple into this. But he's like, oh, well, Khan's got this weird blood. So I'm just putting it in everything I can find. (laughs) Well, and I I think the other thing about it, too, is like, again, like, it just doesn't feel Khan that he like puts on a coat and tries to run away again. Like. What like like it just feels like Khan should have grander plans. Like that's who Khan is. This is not Khan. That's the problem. It is, but it's just like when you're watching Khan Harrison. It's Khan Harrison. Famous Star Trek villain in all the episodes. I I do like Quinto kind of is 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 channeling the Tom Cruise run though in this a little bit. Like he's 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 got a little Tom Cruise run. But yeah, it's just that this chase and he's beating him up, and then like everybody's like, listen, like we can revive him with his blood. Now beat me down. I'm Ohura. I gotta I gotta get my boyfriend on track. Like, don't kill him. And it like, well, you know, it is what it is. They revive. You know what really makes it like it kind of like just sucks all the air out of it. Like, so all that happens, and then it, the screen goes to black, and you hear kind of like a like the flashback, the audio flashbacks of like Kirk's uh, yeah, parents dying, and all these moments in his life. And, which and, and, and I don't I, know if I don't know if it's like a stylistic choice. It must be because Kirk wasn't even born when half of that stuff happened. Right. He was barely an infant. So anyway, so then that happens. But even the way it's edited, it's like it's black, and then Kirk just wakes up, like oh. Like, like, and, and, it's, and it's been two weeks too, right? Like he, like he woke up from a night of drinking. Like it was just that's the energy that it has about it, and I'm like, mm-hmm. and it just it feels very anticlimactic. Well, it's also maybe kinda... this isn't a good movie. Maybe, like, maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm being maybe I was well, initially no, I, being too kind. There are the thing is like again like when you're watching it, there are really good moments. It's just I think really more so than anything else. Yes, the movie gets on a downward spiral once they capture Khan, but like the 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 third act is flat. It is it, it everything everything after that sequence, especially everything after that sequence of Khan and Kirk in space, like going through all the debris. Everything after that feels very flat, and there's really doesn't feel like they had a good way to have momentum going into the end of the movie. Yeah, because there, there, there's it doesn't feel like. I feel like they had like this idea of like, okay, we're going to do combat, but they just didn't know how to actually end it. Cause it just doesn't feel like, cause even like Khan or Quinto beating up Khan, it never actually feels like, Oh, I'm going to kill this guy. It never feels like that savagery. It, it, it just kind of feels like, well, I'm beating this guy up just like Kirk beat him up in the movie. And then Uhura comes down like, don't kill him. We need his blood. He's, Spock's like, all right, cool. Yep. And then even after that, after they kind of like get back together and, and you know, it's like I, I, you know, you know, finally, like Kirk, you know, Spock acknowledges like, I'm, I'm glad to have you back, Jim, or whatever. Then they cut to another year later where like, oh, hey, yeah, they, they do. They they do. I, I, I think they, I looked away when that happened, but they do. do they, they cut to another year later where like, you know, Kirk is giving the big speech of doing the memorial, like all the people that died the earlier year and they're going to go on the five year mission. Carol Marcus is on the ship. Kirk gives the, you know, strange, you know, strange new worlds opening and uh, it's the end of the movie. Yeah. 
It's just, yeah, it's just like, I think there's a lot. <laughs> it does lot of, really just end like that, doesn't it? Right. It, but I think that's, the, yeah, I, I do think there are things to enjoy. I think the cast is still good, the main cast at least. I think that the relationships are still fun. There's some, still some fun little Star Trek moments here and there. But it really just like, there is a point where it's just the movie just starts going on a downward spiral and just ends very flatly. And then yeah. it, it doesn't, it doesn't help the movie at all. Yeah. It, it, it's, I don't know. I don't really know how much more I can say about it other than like, you know, I, I still like all the merits of like what JJ brings to the table. And I just think in this one, it's kind of like surprisingly vague and unfocused of a story and, you know, and, you know, and it's funny because as I'm watching it, it like it, it's not like it, it, the movie isn't um, repellent. Like it, it, you watch it and there's really nothing bad. Like it's like, you know, the performances are good. It, you know, I like his visual styles in this movie. Um, but, you know, it just kind of it, it just the air like it starts to deflate as it goes along like if you really want to give it any other type of attention like that yeah no it just um it's just like a lot of just a lot of it's also a movie where a lot of choices start piling up by the end too like that's the thing too it's like Mm -hmm. You, you start it starts off real well and then like just the choices they make in terms of you know doing con and doing the choices Marcus. catch up to the movie like yeah, they the, yeah the choices catch up to a point where it's not salvageable to, yeah. to, to, to a degree and and that's what really hurts the movie at the end of the day but like, i will say i will say sorry go ahead i just say like it's not like an awful awful watch it's not like the worst movie of all time it's definitely on the lower end of the star trek scale uh, and I'll have to like yeah. relook at like my rankings and I'll probably maybe drop it down a little bit more just because I've enjoyed, you know, I've enjoyed five a lot more than I remember, you know, a nemesis isn't really that bad either, but it's just like, it's not like, it's not like a dirt worst like movie, but you know, it's not great. Yeah. I mean, my thing is, is that, I mean, the, the positive note I will end on is just how impeccable the cast and the chemistry is and, you know, there, it, it, there's nothing about it. I mean, the, kind of like the strength about Star Trek is like, it kind of is a, a franchise where it affords you that, well, then the next one will just be a different mission. So, you know, sometimes when you watch things like this, you're kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to see the next one. But like this one is like, yeah, no, I like all these people enough that when the next one was coming around, I was, I was interested in seeing it because you knew that they would just move on to something different. So the cast, the energy, all that kind of stuff, and and the the all that stuff still works for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I again, I think I think you're very much right. Where it's like, even when, and we'll talk about it next time uh, when we talk about Beyond. Like this movie didn't did necessarily deter me from wanting to see like another one with these with these with this crew, um, you know. And I and I think like you know we're, we're gonna get a refresh in the creative team on the next one, which I think will definitely help um when we revisit beyond um but it, it really is like the core team you know i still like that core team and i mm-hmm. think the best the strongest moments of this film when rewatching it are the moments between that core team and i think that's what keep this kind of afloat from being like an, an awful like dirt worst movie is that you still have a lot of fun moments with the crew and it feels like the writers you know kurt Orp and lindelof abram still know how to work those guys it's just a shame that kind of all the rest of the movie and especially the second half of the film didn't get that kind of attention 
um, to like really make it come together. Yeah. Um, so uh, the movie comes out on, as I mentioned, May 17th, 2013. And uh, one thing to remember with this, it was well reviewed at the time, uh, especially among critics. Again, like if you're looking at that Rotten Tomatoes scale, 84%, like still well regarded, still people like the direction, people like the cast still. But the main criticism of the movie was the fact that uh, the use of Khan, the marketing of Khan, and it really was, we kind of talked about early in the, in the thing, there was a lot of detriment from the fact that they didn't just reveal it was Khan. Almost like if you would have just said, like, hey, Khan's in this movie, it, it just would have taken a lot of sort of that sort of like wonkiness of just how we view the movie and how we were viewing it, like going into it. You know, it's just a lot of it was just like, hey, like it is meaningless to the audience. Khan doesn't really feel like the character. He's definitely the weakest part of the movie. But people still really like the cast and like the crew and like the direction and like the vibe of the movie at the time. Though over time, especially after Beyond's comes out, this movie has gotten a sort of a retrospecting kicking down. Um and 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 it does kind of get lumped in a lot of sort of like the in a lot of the mistakes that Abrams makes again with Rise of Skywalker. This movie was brought up a lot in that regard as well, and kind of comparing those two movies. Uh, and then also in terms of its box office, this is the most successful Star Trek film of all time, with a worldwide gross of four hundred and sixty-seven million dollars. Sweet. Uh, and yeah, so uh, Paramount's obviously still very happy. Abrams is a busy man. Uh, so again, he's already kind of working right on this into Force Awakens. Uh, as we kind of mentioned, even a lot of the rest of the cast of the Pines and the Quintos and the, uh, the Zoe Saldanas are, are doing a lot of stuff. So it takes a lot of, another little bit of time before the next moon comes out. But when we come back to Star Trek next time, we are going to be talking about the 2018 film Star Trek Beyond. Time to get a lesson. Which I'm really looking forward to. Time to Fun get, fucking movie. Uh, time to get a lesson in classical music. <laughs> uh, but next time we are not back on track. We are back on Pirates. And it's time for us to get to the end of Pirates. We're, we're going to catch up to where the franchise is in the modern day. With again, a film that I have not seen. But has been hyped up as something to see from you. And from my girlfriend. They're very excited to see my thoughts on the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Yep. Oh, boy. Yep. Yeah. I'm sorry, everybody. We're going to have to talk hey, about it. Hey, there will be light at the end of the tunnel because after that, we're at Beyond. And then that'll yeah. be a fun movie to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. That that actually is a good uh, little uh, a treat. It's like my prize for having to sit through that Pirates movie again. All right. So. Well, uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, again, we're almost at the end of Trek. We're almost at the end of Pirates. So, uh, two more successful franchises under the uh, Bondazilic banner. Yep. Um. So yeah, and then uh, you know who knows what the future holds, uh, for us. Uh, it's gonna be time for us to do our plugs or my plugs. I really only say the plugs. Um, Bondzillapod at gmail.com, Twitter.com, Twitter.com slash Bondzilla 7 I'm definitely keeping that in there. Uh, SoundCloud. Uh, slash Bondello 7 like and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud leave a rating or review tell your friends tell your wives tell your husbands I'm sure some of you are married out there um, <laughs> people are married and they listen to podcasts yeah they do they, I guess they have time to do that neither of us are but we listen to podcasts yeah. you could be single you could be hey you know what if you're 
I got a husband or a wife, if you're bisexual, if you're pansexual, whatever you are, we appreciate you. We love you. We support you. And thank you for listening. And thank you for supporting us. Unless you're an asshole. Well, yeah, you know, if you're... <laughs> If there was only a way to tell, like, unless you're a dick. <laughs> like, yeah. But, the, but that, that's the thing. It's like a lot of people. I mean, there are some people who think of themselves who's like, oh, oh I'm an asshole. Like, right. Shit. A lot of people who we would probably call assholes don't think of themselves as assholes. So, like, that's that's really the, 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 Fair the, enough. the, the, the determining factor. But Fair listen, we're, we are. We love you guys. Thanks again for listening. We're all inclusive here on Bonzilla. So uh, thanks for coming by. Take care. All right, we'll see you next time. You know, when I dreamt about being stuck on a deserted planet with a gorgeous woman, there was no torpedo. <laughs>